Welcome to the debut show of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure, where myself, Martin Bushby, and Andrew Thompson will be joined by special guests each month to look back at a show from wrestling's past. And Andrew, I mean, you must be one of the busiest guys in wrestling journalism. I'm glad I've finally got you locked down to do this podcast every month. Man, I'm glad to do the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. When you first approached me about the idea, I was already on board. Looking forward to reviewing these throwback shows, man, and of course talking with some special guests. And you know, as I'm sure you were about to say, we too we have a a, a, a very a very special guest today. Some, somebody that's near 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 and dear to the both of us and the whole post wrestling family. Oh yeah, we've got the uh, perfect guest lineup for this first show. He's uh, post wrestling fans will know him as the host of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show and the co-host of Keep It Two Thousand. Uh, yeah, we're delighted to welcome the most electrifying man in all of post wrestling <laughs> and uh, all around raconteur, Nate Milton. Nate, thanks for joining us. What's going on, brothers? Yes, it, it is great to be here, brother Bushby. And of course, I, I have to tip my cap to my podcast nephew, the, the youngest in charge, <laughs> Andrew Thompson. And, 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 you know, even though, like, all those niceties aside, fellas, I, I see what you're doing here. Like, I, I, I can see through through the, through the veneer. You know, y'all, y'all just brought me on here to pop this rating. <laughs> for, the, for the debut episode of Bushby and Thompson, but I'm not I'm not mad at you. I'm here. I'm I'm I'm, I'm down to talk about this show this week, and and I'm, I'm gonna sprinkle my my own little razzle dazzle on y'all's episode. So I think we're gonna have a good time today. Oh, you seem to you, have you, 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 you there, pushing a... you on for the uh, first show to pop a rating. Yeah, we're, we're that transparent. You 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 have become our, our undertaker, Nate, for for post wrestling. Whenever we need to pop the good rating, we going we gonna go ahead and bring you back one 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 day contract. <laughs> You know, I'm a special attraction. I come in, I take the spot <laughs> of, the, of the full-timers, you know, part-timer coming in here with the big shoes. And then, uh, you know, I'm the draw. You know, I got my own personal dressing room here at, at the podcast studio. But it, it's all it's all good. It's all love. We're we, we going to make a make a good show for the people. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, this this is going to be a great uh, a great vehicle for, for you two gentlemen. So I'm interested to hear how this partnership uh, continues to grow. Thanks for that. We really sure. appreciate it. Um, I mean, the show today will, is going to see us travel back 17 years to uh, 2003 and look at probably one of the most underrated, in my opinion, WrestleManias of all time, WrestleMania 19. I mean, before we uh, before we get into the wrestling part, uh, Nate, I wanted to ask you any sort of like memories of 2003 that jump out at you? I mean, it, it, was, it was a simpler time. You know, it was a simpler time, Martin, back Back when uh, we didn't have to watch our backs uh, because of what might be going on in 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 the, in the uh, world, speaking uh, on on a socio political 
uh, uh, type of platform. But, the, you know, I'm not trying to get into all that today, I'm sure. Somebody just turned this on to, uh, you know, get away from the problems in 2020. So let's think about what was going on in uh, 2003. And for me, I feel like that was an interesting time, like not only in the world, but in pop culture, uh, you know, in my life personally, uh, it would have been a few years since I would have returned to the States from uh, living in Japan. Um, I, I feel like at that time I would have been back in Virginia. I would have been back in Newport news, uh, working at the TV station and, uh, trying to trying to stay out of trouble, Andrew. But you know, you know, back then I was probably about you know your age right now, maybe even a little bit younger. And, and so, uh, you know, you you know how hard sometimes even when you're not looking for the trouble, the trouble can find you. Trouble got that GPS. <laughs> well, I don't think you were, you were based in Japan. Yeah, yeah. For a few years, uh, my father was a uh, station in Okinawa. So, uh, yeah, I was over in Japan for. A little bit, uh, you know, I worked at a TV station uh, on the base. Uh, wow. And that was, a, that was a really interesting experience because it was like a, a really kind of a DIY thing. Like we had a chief investor who provided, you know, money for equipment and things of that nature. But really, like, we, there were only like five full-time people on the staff. Everybody else, myself included, was kind of like a volunteer that, you know, got perks here and there. And so, you know, we we had a uh, like a evening talk show, like our own version of the Tonight Show called Okinawa PM. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was I was the host of uh, School Days, which basically was me just kind of it was literally me and a camera and a microphone. And I would go and, and talk to uh, various students, whether, you know, they were in, in high school athletics back there or they were in like the drama program or they were achieving uh, well, academically, you know, it'd just be me and my little camera, my little tripod, and I just do interviews. And, you know, we had another show, Sports sports Talk, which was the least creative name sports show in the history of sports shows. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was a live call-in show that we did from the studio. And so, yeah, like it wasn't glamorous, Martin, but it was fun. And, and I, like, I think that two or three years I was over there working at that station was like a good foundation for a lot of what I was able to do further on down the road in my life. And so, yeah, like, uh, that, that was like late nineties. Uh, and then, you know, like, like, like you were talking about 2003, when we get there, it's, uh, it's like trying to figure out, okay, like now I'm, I've been back in the States for a couple of years now, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was a really interesting time, not only in the wrestling world, but, but in my world too, sir. Wow, yeah. That's that cool as hell. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was doing anything nowhere near as exciting as that in 2003. I was just uh, chefing, earning decent money, just pissing it all up the wall, basically. I think like I said, <laughs> trying to figure out what you wanted to do with your life. Um, Andrew, I mean, uh, just to take people behind the scenes here. I'm looking at a picture of you on your Skype in your school uniform. Uh, little Andrew here. I'm guessing this isn't far from you in 2003. I, I, I honestly think that was like, you, you, you know what? I think that probably may have been, two, it probably was 2002 or 2003, but in 2003, I was uh, in first grade, seven years old. And uh, yeah, <laughs> get, get, getting the, yeah uh, I seriously overestimated your age, Andrew. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was, I was about your age back in 2003. Like, nah, I was a grown ass man with a job in the car. <laughs> 
But yeah, man, to 2003, that was that I I had I had no worries in the world. Just uh, just just coming home, making sure I wasn't acting a fool in school, and you know, staying staying out of trouble and collecting all the WWE DVDs. Man, that's what I was doing. <laughs> so was wrestling on your radar at that point at seven years old. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. I, I don't know. I was always interested in, in wrestling, but the only thing I knew at the, like I would say around that year specifically was WWE and TNA. And then like, I guess as the years went on, I kind of like, you know, found out about that, that there was wrestling that existed outside of that, that bubble. So I've always been interested in seeking out like outside stuff, but like I was just locked in on WWE. So like the whole year of 2003 for me, like I remember it like vividly, like uh, specifically speaking about WWE. Well, um, if you'll indulge me, it's set the scene a bit more. Cause, uh, I mean, Nate mentioned a bit about pop culture in 2003. And uh, in the music, we had a uh, 50 Cent in the club, J-Lo and LL Cool J. Classic hit. Beyonce, Classic. Crazy in Love. <laughs> Evanescence, Bring Me to Life. Chingy right there. Mm-hmm. And Avril Lavigne, I'm with you as some, uh, some of the biggest singles of the year. Um, I mean, Andrew, what was blasting out of the stereo in the Thompson household? Were you a, a Chingy fan back in the day? Man, I, I was th- th- that Fifty Cent in the club. Everybody loved that. So I don't know. I had no business listening to that song. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even get in the club. <laughs> but but yeah, man. Like I, I mean, like I, 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 like one thing I like, you know, growing up specifically was like my my folks. I don't really think they kind of, you know, they didn't hide me for much. So I was exposed to a lot early. Like in in in, in a good way, I, I would say. Like I was watching movies. I really don't think I was supposed to be watching. Like like uh like how high. <laughs> like, like look, watching this stuff at a young age, man, and just learning the stuff that I shouldn't probably have been learning and taking that back to school. So, so like, yeah, but I mean, like specifically, like songs like that, you know, but pretty much all the all the, all the big time songs that everybody was listening to back in the day. That uh, was it. I always like that Evanescence song. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was just about to say, Andrew, like that Evanescence song, like launched a thousand movie trailers where the white heroine, like she was just. <laughs> She was down on her luck, Martin Bushby, and and she had to get up. And there was a training montage. And I'm specifically thinking of Jennifer Garner and Electra, and she is fighting, and she is training, and 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 the the skills that she learned through this montage brought her to life. And and, and uh, as as everybody probably knows, you know, when they look at the title, we're we're reviewing uh WrestleMania 19, and Martin mentioned uh Evanescence. That was the theme song for uh No Way Out 2003, which was the pay per view mm. before um WrestleMania 19, I think. Yeah, that song was everywhere. I don't know about you, Nate, but reeling back all those songs uh, and thinking that they were 17 years ago, they feel like uh, five years ago to me. I'm feeling really old thinking about all those songs. <laughs> yeah, it, time, time flies, man. And, and for me, like at that time period, I'm sure, even though I want to say the record came out in the fall, um, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, now I know exactly where I was. Yep, because Speaker Box Love Below came out in... August or September of 03. And that was my jam. I'm a big Outcast fan. And so at that time, I would have been working at uh, Channel 13, uh, which is a uh, it is our ABC affiliate, if I'm not mistaken. And I was a cameraman and a floor director. I worked at the morning newscast, which meant like the morning news come on at four o'clock in the morning, Andrew Thompson. So <laughs> I had to be at the studio at least by two thirty in the morning, and so my schedule, like I'm, I, I stay on these waiting hours anyway. Where I'm up <laughs> all hours of the night, like Batman patrolling the city, and so. 
like if I had to be somewhere at two thirty, it's an hour drive, which means I got to leave at least by one. So I have to be up. I'm getting up for work at midnight, and you know, going to work, doing the news, uh, morning newscast, staying through the noon newscast. You know, so that ends at one o'clock, which means it takes me another hour to drive back home. I get home around two thirty, three o'clock, have dinner. Um, you know watch TV or play video games or work out or whatever. And then seven, eight o'clock, I'm going to bed to wake up at 12 o'clock. So that I did that for about a good year. Uh, and it was, it was a thankless job because uh, nobody cares about the, uh, the PAs. Nobody cares about the production crew. It's all about the anchors, but uh, it, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a good job, man, with, with, with good people. And uh, yeah, like I think, uh, Outcast got me through a lot of long drives, man. Just Andre 3000 uh, talking about, uh, you know, <laughs> Andre 3000 talking about, uh, you know, don't don't fall for her, ice cold. Don't fall for her. Like that got me through a lot of them drives over the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was definitely a classic album. That was. Wasn't that their last album as well? Have they done anything together since then? Yeah, that was their last, uh, the last album as a group. Even though that was kind of the, the split, you know, we had the Love Below, we had Speaker Box, you know, they, it's it's an it's an interesting album. Like I feel like if you combine the two albums, like there's a really good ten song album in the midst of all those like twenty five songs between the two of them. Uh, and then like Big Boy went on, and Big Boy still making music. Andre is like uh, a Black Tooth Fairy where he just pops up, or a Black Easter Bunny. He pops up like once a year. Gives you that goodness and then disappears for another year. You don't you don't hear nothing from Three Stacks for 364 days, and then he'll pop up on somebody's verse. Or uh, I think last year he dropped like a four track or five track instrumental jazz album that nobody asked for. And it's like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm glad you're still out here creating stuff though. Yeah, well, uh, moving on from music and uh, on some of the, I think it was a big sequels year this year. We had a. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Finding Nemo, Matrix Reloaded, Bad Boys 2, and Terminator 3. So a big year for sequels in 2003. But on to uh, what your remit, Nate. Uh, the Rock only had one movie out this year. Uh, his fourth in total was The Rundown. I'm fairly sure I've seen it many moons ago, but was The Rundown, uh, it was that on your radar as being one of The Rock's better films. Yeah, in, in terms of his early work, and uh, you know, yes, if you want to check out that episode, uh, I believe it was myself and maybe Brent Chittenden, maybe Chris from L.A. Uh, <laughs> that did the rundown. Uh, maybe Brian Mann, I'm not sure. Uh, but, yeah, the rundown was, was an interesting film uh, where you had that moment where Arnold Schwarzenegger literally passed the torch uh, from the action star of the 80s to what people thought at the time was going to be the action star of the 2000s. And, you know, Sean William Scott did his thing. You had uh, you had uh, Christopher Walken playing the bad guy. He was the top heel in the territory. Uh, Rosario Dawson was in it. It was, it was a good little movie. But obviously what we saw in the next, you know, 15 years or so was that Dwayne Johnson was more than just an action guy, you know. And he's been able to parlay that into becoming the biggest movie star on the planet and the owner of the XFL. So, you know. Things are coming up, Rocky. Man, I, I, I was supposed to, I was I was supposed to be on the rundown review, but you know I got a uh, Planet Thirteen, so you know I'm, I'm holding that against you forever. I mean, man. I mean, look, look, 
I picked that one specifically for you, Andrew, because I, I saw in my mind little seven-year-old Andrew Thompson in his, in his Sunday morning Easter suit going to school, ready, <laughs> ready to come home and watch Planet 51 directed by the great Jorge Blanco. I did that for you, brother. <laughs> I respect it, man. I respect it. I respect it. Any movies uh, speak out to you from 2003 then, Andrew? Finding Nemo. I, I can't yeah. imagine that around I, your age range. Yeah. I, 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 was try, I was trying not to get Nate the satisfaction of saying Finding Nemo because I was going to prove his whole point right about the Planet 13. But, but, but I, I was one of the Finding Nemo people. <laughs> and I know you two are like massive sports fans. So just before we get into the wrestling, because uh, in uh, 2003 we had Roger Federer winning his first Grand Slam title. Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl. Marlins won the World Series, Arsenal won the Premier League, not losing a single game, and uh, Detroit Pistons won the NBA title mm. by trouncing the Lakers Jesus. 4-1, and uh, SR and LeBron James won Rookie of the Year, uh, eventful year in sports. I remember at the time that Detroit team pretty much surprising everyone that year, because it was that dream team the Lakers has assembled, yeah. wasn't it? It was like Kobe, Shaq, Gary Payton, Cole Malone, and it also yep. like... <laughs> fell apart for him as uh, as charted in Phil Jackson's uh, cracking book, uh, the last da- uh, the last season, I think it was called. Yeah, that that was an interesting year in sports because it felt like the the transition where a lot of the dynasties of the '90s were starting to fade away, and we weren't mm-hmm. quite yet to you know where LeBron would would start to take over, or you know the Patriots would just go on this annoying run you know for the next decade <laughs> uh and so yeah like you look at that Pistons scene with Chauncey Billups like they they had no reason to beat that Lakers team but you know it shows you what a team can do versus a group of of great individuals you know you got to play together as a team uh baseball I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that was probably that's the second Marlins World Series run because they were the Marlins are a weird team like they've been terrible except for like three or four times in their entire history. And that's when they brought in just these mercenaries, uh, you know, brought in these, brought in these free agents. They TNA'd it. They brought in everybody <laughs> they could. They used to work for the WWE and they was hot for like two or three months. Mm. And then it just fell apart. And that's how the Marlins were. Like we're bringing in all these high priced free agents and we're going to win a world series, but there's no connection to the team, Martin. Cause you know that these guys aren't going to be around next year. So it was a weird Weird time to be a Marlins fan. I, I guess every every time is a weird any time is a weird time to be a Marlins fan because they're just a weird franchise. I don't think they've ever really fit uh, in Miami, but uh, at least they've got two championships. And NBA Live two thousand four was hot that year when, when they first dropped. They always dropped. You know, they always dropped the the uh, the game one year before. Yeah, one, one, one year before the yeah. And, and I remember that just being I was being so fascinated with the graphics, and then like looking back, those were some of the worst graphics ever. But like, just, it's just crazy <laughs> how like how things have elevated since was it seventeen years ago? It's, it's crazy to see how far things have come. Who was on the cover of that one? I think Vince Carter. Ah, okay. It's yeah. Was that next Vince Carter? No, nah, I think that was uh, I, I, yeah, it, I it had, yeah, I, I think it had to be honestly a two thousand NBA Live two thousand and four. I, I, I for sure think that was that period where he'd fallen out with the Raptors, hadn't he? And then he was sort of like moving on. It might have been, I think two thousand two, two thousand and three might have been his last se- season in Canada. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think about it. yeah. He he was on the cover uh, of the 2004 with the Raptors, but he I, he he had to have get traded. Had to have See, traded. I was I was on I was on the other side, you know. I was on the other side. I was on the other team uh, back at that time, Andrew, because I was I was a, a Sega Dreamcast man. Oh, brother. okay, okay. So I, I was on that Dreamcast, and, and we had you know we didn't have the EA games on the Dreamcast because you know we, we it wasn't like that back then. So we had the 2K games. So I was playing. ESPN basketball uh 2K3 with uh Allen Iverson on the cover. That's that's what I was getting down with. You you were ahead of your time, sir, because look where we at now. All everybody plays 2K. <laughs> yeah, two man. The greatest football game it came out a year later. The greatest mm-hmm. NFL game ever created, Martin Bushby. To this day, ESPN 2K NFL 2K5. Wow, they I have didn't ne- even know that was a thing. They've never been able to create a game like that. Like it had actual ESPN presentation. Like you can put it in right now, and the graphics are going to look a little dated just because of technology. But the way they integrated the, the the halftime shows, and they like they had highlights of other games that you wasn't even playing, Martin Bushby. So like say say I'm starting a franchise with the Falcons, and you know it's Sunday, and we're playing the Raiders, and I'm up by twelve at halftime, and they go to the halftime show. Now let's take a look at what's going on with the Bengals and the Saints. And they showed me a highlight of a game that wasn't even played. Wow. Like, that's that's amazing. And and ESPN was like, I mean, EA Sports was like, we can't even compete with that. So instead of trying to make a better game, they, I think they, they took inspiration from Vince McMahon. Instead of trying to make a better product, let's just buy everybody else out. And they were like, <laughs> instead of trying to make a better Madden game, let's just – get the exclusive rights to the NFL, and uh, they basically shut down uh, NFL 2K before it even really got started. I'll have to check that one out. I'll have to go back. Um, I know, like, uh, retro games are becoming quite the thing now, aren't they? You know, obviously, we've had the redo of uh, the Tony Hawk's games and a mm. couple of Resident mm. Evil ones. Yeah, perhaps I'll have to uh, do a redo of that one. It, 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 it was Like, they had a mode where it was like a first-person football, and you act like they showed you – and then all of a sudden, like, you're running on the field, and then you go inside the helmet. And it was a weird game mode. Like, it didn't quite work, Martin. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that back in 03, 04, they were like, let's try something different. Let's put you actually – it was like a VR deal almost, where, like, you're inside the helmet, and you're making the calls. Like, it didn't it didn't quite work, but the fact that they were trying all these different things was, was cool. Like, you had a crib. Like, you, you got to – have a pinball machine wow. and a, 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 a jukebox that played, you know, snippets of the songs on the soundtrack. And you had to listen to the same five AC alone songs in a row, but that was okay. Cause it was a, it was something different, Martin Bushman. And that's, that's why, you know, I feel like, you know, you, you either innovate or you, uh, you, you, you invest and, 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 you know, EA said, we, we can't innovate, we can't create. So let's just buy it. Uh, our competition out and, and put them out of business. Uh, so again, bringing us to uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, I guess. Vince, Vince McMahon is the EA Sports of professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> so uh, on, on to WWE then in uh, 2003, because it's quite a funny year for them, I think. Obviously, we had we had the Ooh. brand split a year earlier with the first draft happening in March of 2002, and then... Uh, I, mean, I want to get your guys' thoughts on the original brands. We had the separate pay-per-views with only the two uh, brands appearing on the Big Five pay-per-views, and they seemed to really stick to it for that first year, I thought, Andrew. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think this was probably one of the, the the brighter things that WWE did as far as this this 2000, that early 2000s era was having this brand split because I feel like it really gave people the opportunity to shine that probably wouldn't have had that chance to sound like I kind of like mm. relate that back to the uh, 2016 SmackDown. Like when we had people like I like I, I think people were very like very fond of Becky Lynch and the Alexa Blisses and, you know, the the Chad Gable and Jason Jordans of the world. And, but then when they kind of got separated and everybody was put on most of them were put on SmackDown, they really got to shine. And then that's when their fan bases grew. Mm. Yeah, no, can agree with that. But I mean, Nate, when they did that original uh, brand split, obviously everyone was uh, crying for it to come back, weren't they? When they got rid of it, and now everyone's not so happy with it. But <laughs> what was your original thoughts when they uh, split the brands and made them? And, and, and it was almost like all the pay per views they were saying, "Oh, this is presented by SmackDown or presented by Raw," and they made yeah. quite the effort to make them two separate companies. Well, yeah, well, it made sense back then because, A, like, you've got, you still got this pretty bloated roster, you know, because we're in the aftermath of WCW being bought out and, mm-hmm. you know, TNA and ROH aren't really viable uh, competitors at the time. Uh, but so you got all this talent and this is before three hour Raw. So it's like we only got. You know, so much TV time. So it made sense to split the rosters and, like Andrew said, give people a chance to shine. And then the other thing that made it something that people look back fondly on is the fact that they actually took it seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there were trades. Like, they were there were storyline reasons for people to show up on other shows as opposed to now when people can just show up whenever they want to, basically. Um, and it's it's pretty much a joke in terms of, like, an actual split between the two companies. You know, like, they actually, as opposed to now, like, in recent times, where the only time they get serious about the brand split is around Survivor Series, so everybody can put on their little stupid shirts. Back then, (laughs) they took it seriously, you know, for the entire year. You know, even going as far as, this is, you know, no way out. Presented by Snickers and SmackDown. It's like, okay. (laughs) Like, like, I I can get behind this. This is a blue brand show. Uh, But they kind of lost their way after a while, but that original brand split was something that I feel like was necessary, and it also helped elevate a lot of talent that might not have gotten a chance otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree with that. They did seem to they seem to like half arse it now, don't they? Whereas before, they seemed to like be quite uh, into it because this was uh, I think this was the first WrestleMania as well of the. Uh, WWE year after getting the F out, I think, in mm. 2002. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned the bloated roster there. As far as rosters go, going into WrestleMania 19, this must be one of the most stacked of all time. You had Austin, Rock, Shawn Michaels, Jericho, Undertaker, Brock Angle, Hogan, Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, mm. Rey Mysterio, and then you had uh, Batista and John Cena sort of like bubbling under him. Um, but even saying that, though, I mean, t- TV ratings were down dramatically from uh, your peaks of 2000 and 2001. I think the average in 2000 was 5.8 to 2003, which was 3.7. I mean, even with this stacked roster, Andrew, I mean, can you put your finger in this downturn in business for WWE? I mean, people, people just got bored of uh, wrestling because it was no longer the sort of like hot pop culture thing it was a few years before. Yeah, I, I can't even possibly begin to even put a, a like a like pin, pinpoint something like exactly why that rating probably dropped but like can you imagine like he you just like did like, so 
3.7 or 3.5 or just having 3 point whatever million people tuned into a, a pro wrestling product <laughs> back then was the normal thing. Mm-hmm. Now, can, can you imagine that today? Like what that would do for a wrestler? Cause like now it seems like 1. 1.5, 1.4. Like that's the, that's, that's the big thing right there. At least mm-hmm. trying to get over a million. Like you got SmackDown right now averaging two point something. And I know Raw is averaging like around the 1.8 range. And, you know, we got NXT and AEW entering up on a million. Like, can you imagine like now, like I I I, I just can't even begin to like I I, I don't think that a, a three uh, would would even be plausible nowadays. I I just mm. don't think it will happen. Well, the, the, like the real question, Martin, is what was Raw in two thousand three doing with that eighteen to forty nine demographic, right? Because <laughs> that's that's all that really matters when when you look at it. But uh, in, in all seriousness, I think. You know, to Andrew's point about why was there a drop off, it it's easy to explain for me. Just and this, this is a product, you know, nephew, or just living through the time. Mm-hmm. The difference between 03 and say, you know, 96, 97, 98 is that there's no WCW. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was like, there's a bunch of people that never came back to watching wrestling after WCW folded, right? Like, they they, they might have tuned in the first week or the first month or so after WCW was, was purchased by the WWF, but eventually they're like, you know, this isn't my brand. This isn't what I signed up for, so I'm just not going to watch. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to watch UFC or I'm going to watch more traditional sports or, you know, I'm going to make it a Blockbuster night because Blockbuster was still a thing back in 2003. <laughs> uh, and so, like, I feel like, yeah, like those are great numbers by today's standards, but when you compare it to the height in in the mid to late nineties of where pro wrestling was, it's like yeah, they they never figured out a way. And by by they, I mean Vince McMahon and then and the uh, you know powers that be within the WWE, they never figured out a way to entice those WCW viewers to come on board, you know. And so that's that's like still to this day, Martin, one of the biggest missed opportunities, you know, because there's a couple million fans out there, maybe even more uh, that never got back into wrestling, even though they were, you know, Mm. two or three years earlier, they were so into the product. Yeah, definitely. I mean, were you were you watching like week to week around this point? Were you watching Raw and Smackdown? I was watching, but not as intently as I had been a few years earlier. You know, I was a WCW fan back in the day. Like, that was my brand. Uh, but I would also, you know, switch between Raw and Nitro during the commercials. Uh, but in 03, like, there were people that I would follow, people that I was invested in. Uh, but I wasn't as much watching SmackDown and Raw on a week-to-week basis. I was I was trying to give, you know, TNA a chance at the time. Uh, and, and, and T TNA is like that, that, uh, that bad dad that always does you wrong, but I'm going to come to your baseball game next week. I promise I'll be at the baseball game. He don't show up to the baseball game, but then he shows up three hours later at the house drunk with a bike. Like, see, I told you I'd be here. Like, that ain't the same thing, dad. Thank you for the bike, Dixie Carter, but it ain't the same thing. What an analogy. What about you? uh, What about you, Andrew? What was your favorite scene in 2003? I was about to say that was quite the analogy from uh from from, from brother Nate right there, but uh, <laughs> that's but, what gets the ratings. But, that's getting the three point seven. But uh, but but two thousand three, man, I was tuned in, man. I ain't had nothing else to do, so. <laughs> I was, I was <laughs> 
And, uh, yeah, what were some of your uh, memories of watching the show at the time, just before we get into the show itself? I seem to remember I wasn't, I was uh, too tight to pay for any sports packages over here, and one <laughs> of my friends had a, uh, had the full package, so I used to go around to his on a Sunday night, because obviously they're showing um, quite early in the morning over here in the UK, and yeah, and that used to be a traditional thing for us to uh, all gather around at my friend's house and, and watch these with a couple of beers and what have you. And uh, I, I do remember this being a good show, but I don't think I've watched it since. Um, mm. Obviously, I rewatched it for uh, doing this review now, but I've not watched it since, like I would say, WrestleMania 17 or something like that. But uh, Andrew, uh, did you stay? Did you stay up and watch this uh, when it was on originally? Man, I, I didn't see this show until a year. After it happened, cause my mom, mom Dukes wasn't paying fifty dollars for me to sit up and watch no wrestling. She wasn't going, she, she, she wasn't going for that. So we waited till that thing came out in, in Target or, or, or one of these, <laughs> something like that. And then, and then we went to go get it. And I, I swear, I replayed this thing. Like th- this show is like burned in my brain. Like I remember this thing like vividly from how many times I watched it on on DVD on the PlayStation Two. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been one where I would have. Uh... I didn't watch it live that night, uh, but I certainly think that this is probably something I would have ordered on Netflix, like when Netflix was still <laughs> like a DVD service. Oh, yeah. Uh, this would have been one thing, like probably, it probably came out like six months later. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. T- t- time out, time out. Ne- Netflix was a thing back then? Yeah, Netflix was a DVD service. So, <laughs> what, what was this? <laughs> so, let me, I right, sit down, nephew. Let me tell you, let me tell you how things used to be. So, back in the day, Instead of going to the blockbuster to rent movies, you could sign up for a subscription to Netflix. And what Netflix would do is wow. you could sign up for the basic plan for eight ninety nine. I remember the prices, or the premium package for like fifteen ninety nine. And the basic plan, you got one DVD. They send it to you. You watch it. You send it back. They send you another one. On the premium package, you could have up to two or three DVDs out at a time. And so, like I would always, I, I got the premium package, and I would always order like one movie i'd order like one ufc and i'd order one wwe show and they would send you the dvds and you watch them you send them back and then eventually netflix (laughs) moved into streaming i want to say like maybe five six years after netflix started they they moved into the streaming but even now i think even now there's still some folks out there getting Netflix DVDs. Uh, so yeah, Netflix started on that DVD side. They 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 they, they cut into blockbusters uh blockbusters territory and blockbuster never recovered. Look, look at that out here teaching a young brother on the wrestling podcast. Ain't that something? <laughs> like there was some. There was so much joy because you had to go into Netflix on Netflix.com and set up your queue, and so it it was serious business, Andrew, because there were some movies that you wanted to watch. But they were high priority because everybody wanted to watch them. Like it was a new, like whatever new Will Smith movie came out, you knew you mm-hmm. might not get that on the first try. So you had to have a good backup. So like, <laughs> say Ali was the number one movie on my on my queue. I knew I might not get Ali, so I had to put something good behind it. So I put like a Martin Lawrence movie or a Dave Chappelle movie, uh, you know, WrestleMania 2003, uh, you know. Uh, a TNA, like every now and then they had TNA or ROH DVD sprinkled in there, uh, a UFC, and then, you know, uh, some concert, like a Prince DVD. And so it's like, I'm, I might not get Ali, but out of the, out of those 10 movies I put on my list, I'm going to get at least one or two good movies. And so, yeah, Netflix, like everybody out there, like, that can remember. 
the, the joy of getting that little Netflix envelope and you open it up and then you, you open up the little cardboard because they had to put the cardboard in there, Andrew, so the DVD didn't get scratched up. You open up that little cardboard and it's like, ah, uh, I got the, the the full first season of the Justice League in my hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I got I got uh, I got SummerSlam 88 in my hands and it was a, it was a magical experience. We had a we had a similar service to that over in the UK called Love Film. I think Amazon bought mm. them eventually and just and they tried continuing that uh, DVD service for a while and then they just closed it down. But I, I remember <laughs> the last one I got off Love Film before my subscription subscribed was uh, expired. Rather was a phenomenal two, the best of AJ Styles in <laughs> yeah. a DVD that I still have in the wallet. I'm looking at it right now on my uh, on my shelf next to my computer. So yeah, um, I, I don't want to. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not anything, gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> I got I, look. I too have a couple. DVDs that probably should have been returned. Like, like I got a uh, Tropic Thunder that probably should have been returned to the Netflix people. I can say it now because Netflix doesn't care about me. They out here making movies and stuff. Uh, Tropic Thunder is is sitting on my shelf right now that should have been returned. I got at least two Biggest Loser workout DVDs that should <laughs> should have been returned to the Netflix people. And I think I do have like a uh, Best of the X Division somewhere uh, around around the place uh, that should have been returned to uh netflix up uh, so yeah like th- that that was good times andrew you you, you don't know you know you, you don't know nothing about that about that young fella <laughs> <laughs> they had the full tna collections on there as well it was perfect but um, <laughs> just before we get into the summer there's something, something great like like not, not to not to keep us going down this netflix tangent but there, <laughs> there's something great about you know physical media like i get like it's cool having yeah, everything yeah, available yeah. digitally to stream but there's something about being able to hold a thing and put the thing in 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 your uh, DVD player, and uh, another thing is like DVD commentaries. Like I used to love uh, mm. watching the movies and then listening to the commentaries. Uh, particularly anybody that hasn't heard it, Tropic Thunder might have the best yeah. DVD commentary ever because uh, Robert Downey Jr. is doing it in character for the whole commentary. Uh, and it's like, yeah, stuff like that you don't really get on these streaming sites because why Why would I pay extra money to have somebody do a commentary when it's not putting money in my pocket? So so shout, shout out to all the physical media out there, all these DVDs collecting dust. <laughs> oh, I used to love a, uh, a DVD commentary. You know, fuck that for everybody, though, Nate, was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think when they asked him to do one for Total Recall, he was like, why would I do this for free? I want some payment for it. And then all the other actors were like, wait, we've been doing these DVD commentaries for free. And Arnie's out here getting paid for it. So that kind of like ruined DVD commentaries for everybody because uh, their studios didn't want to pay for them anymore. So thanks a lot, Arnie. But anyway, uh, moving on to uh, WrestleMania 19. And uh, I mean, rather than go through all the Raws and Smackdowns that uh, preceded this Mania, I thought we'd go through each match and then have some background behind the matches as we talk through each match. But uh Someone who is noticeable before we get into the show itself from his absence on this show is uh, John Cena. Uh, obviously, the rumor and innuendo is that he was going to do a rap battle against either Fabulous or Jay-Z. I mean, <laughs> think, thinking about that now, a rap battle between Jay-Z and John Cena obviously get a lot of mainstream press these days. But it just looked bizarre in 2003, I think. I don't think, I don't think either Fabulous or Jay-Z were quaking in the boots at, uh, going up against John Cena. I don't know about you, Andrew. Man, you know what? But before before I even answer this, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let our guest I'm gonna let our guest tackle that one first because I got to hear Nate's thoughts about this. Nate, what, what would you think about the the possibility of you seeing WrestleMania 19 with either Fabulous 
or Jay-Z in a rap battle <laughs> with uh with, with, with one Mr. John Cena who went on to release his own album. Yo, I think it, it would have been a great move for the WWE. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure like it's a good move for Fabulous or uh, <laughs> or, or Jigger, just because it's like what what do they have to gain other than a check? Which money is nice, but it's like most of what 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 uh, your image is in the, in the rap game, you know. Uh, oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you know about this this rap game, Martin Bushby, but the, the your image is is very important. It's like having a wrestling character, and so like somewhere along the way, it kind of changed because we let. Rick Ross, for some reason, get off being a correctional officer, but acting like he's a drug mm-hmm. kingpin. But I'm not going to mm-hmm. speak on that right now. <laughs> but I feel like like Jay-Z in particular at that time would have had like you would have had to pay that man so much money to kind of, quote unquote, lower himself to show up on, on this circus. Uh, but like because I, I love I love John Cena. Like, I think John Cena is one of the most underrated performers of his time. Uh you know, it's it's not his fault that the company, I think, didn't utilize him in the best possible way at all times. And and fans, older fans in particular, kind of felt like he was getting shoved down everybody's throat. But I think John Cena is is one of the best workers that the company's ever employed. But that being said, him and Jay Z in the middle of the ring, while I I would have enjoyed it uh, now, just watch, looking back on it, it would have been like like there would have been no reason for Jay Z to just. Be in the middle, be in the middle of the ring and safe go feel like I'm sorry. What you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you, Andrew? Like, like how how do you think that would have turned out, man? Uh I, I do not think it would have turned out well. I mean, but you know what? You know what? I'm not gonna say that. I, I think it would have been entertaining. You know, I, I definitely I think that definitely think it would have been something that people would have been interested in. Like, much like you said, I don't think it would have done well. By the fabulous or Jay Z for their image outside, like outside of professional wrestling, I think yeah. it would have. I think it would have definitely sort of endeared them more to the professional wrestling audience. But I don't think it would have really helped them in the rap game. I think people kind of would have been clowning them about that, and I probably, <laughs> like, probably still would have been some like to this very day that people probably would have pulled up. You know, whenever they did something crazy in the media, they'd be like, "Oh, you look at you! You did this uh, <laughs> rap battle with John Cena." And then, it then would it would have been worse if John Cena had more had more had better balls than they did. Yep. That 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 would have just solidified everything right there but like i mean yeah yeah just just uh just just on that i, I think it i, I think it would have been entertaining like i think for that to work martin it would have had to been somebody like maybe either on the come up or maybe a little bit past their prime mm. like jay-z at that time in particular like was too big for that spot but like if you've got somebody like like honestly, if we, if we're being real about it, Eminem would have been the guy. Mm. <laughs> like M would have been the dude. Marshall Mathers versus John Cena. That would have been the battle that people need to see. But he wouldn't have did it either. The uh, battle with like the Great White Hope. That would have yes. been crazy. <laughs> but yeah, like it would have had to probably been a rapper on the downslope. Like uh, like Vanilla. I, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to say this to to disparage this man. But yeah, Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, like Tone Loke. <laughs> I was going to then Vanilla Ice ended up working with John Cena like a couple of years, like in 2007, 2006, Remember when he was me. on Raw. No, that was Kevin Federline. That's uh, yeah, that was Federline. Yeah, yeah. Federline. Did he have a rap yeah. career as well, Federline? <laughs> well, he he tried. They brought in so many tangential rappers like Federline. They had that whole angle with Machine Gun Kelly a few years ago. Mm. Oh yeah. 
I forgot about it. <laughs> the only that one who just... seems to like rise above this all, who is untouchable, who can do anything without it being embarrassing, or like you were saying earlier, uh, Nate, about like affecting his image, is Snoop Dogg, really, I think, isn't it? Man. Oh, yeah, Snoop is a brand right now. Like, so you, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Snoop can't be touched. Like, I think Wale got off pretty unscathed when he did his thing with the New Day and the Usos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wiz, Wiz Khalifa, I don't think took any backlash, but he, he like, Wiz, Wiz was probably high at the time. Uh, no slander, <laughs> just, just speaking <laughs> facts. So he, he wouldn't have cared one way or the other. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird, man. Uh, you know, Brian Mann and I talked about this a few years ago, uh, back on a, a little show called Keep It Keep It One Hundred, which is about as as uh, relevant now as DVDs and Netflix <laughs> are to, to to you young kids these days. But uh, we talked about kind of the connection between hip hop and pro wrestling, and it's like, yeah, like the audiences for both. You might not think there's a big crossover, but a lot of rap fans like wrestling, and vice versa, and it's like events in the WWE were a little bit more culturally hip. I think there could have been a way to kind of integrate that, you know, with a character like John Cena. Mm-hmm. And just, just to like mention, I get, this is just like caught my eye. Like as I'm uh, sit, sitting here with my computer in front of me, I had looked up and I got this like little uh, shelf of DVDs and stuff like that. And I was looking and I saw the, um, I got the, the WrestleMania 19 video game on Nintendo GameCube that came out uh that came yeah that, that, i know that came out in september of, of that year 2003 and on the cover we got a uh, stone cold kurt angle and uh yep. it looked like the it looked like the rock on, on the cover yeah. and the, the, gra- the graphics are horrendous but I, yo I, that, I, 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 that game okay look look we hijacking the show now martin but but <laughs> have, have you have you played that game never okay see great. I, I I didn't have a GameCube back in the day, Andrew, but my my, my homeboy did. Uh, you know, I had I had a, a Game Station. It was a GameCube on one side, a PlayStation on the other side. I just cut them together and put them together. Uh, yeah. That's that's a joke from Malibu's Most Wanted for anybody that wants to watch that on DVD tonight. Uh, but the, the 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 story, like there wasn't a story mode, Martin. They had revenge mode, and basically yes, what? Oh my goodness! What revenge mode was was you as a wrestler, right? And Vince McMahon fired you unjustly. And so Stephanie McMahon comes to you with this deal. Like, hey, I want to help you take down my daddy, and and I'm going to help you get back into WWE. And so you're going through these missions, like beating up wrestlers as security guards. And and I think at one point, Andrew, you had to, like, stop a shipment of WWE goods from getting to the arena. (laughs) Yeah, Brad, you're right, Brad. Yes, that's it. I'm I'm, like reading the uh, the book. Right, but that's and, exactly uh, what it is, right? Yeah, I'm like the, the shipment. And then finally, once you do all this stuff, once you kind of wreak all this havoc, Martin, you get to face Vince McMahon at the main event of WrestleMania. Of course you it's do. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that's every wrestler's oh, dream, isn't it? To face Vince at WrestleMania. Yeah. No, that, like, like the way Nate described it, that is like exactly accurate, but that's exactly what it says in the pamphlet. And then at the end, you get to, uh, you get to negotiate your contract with Vince. Uh, <laughs> It, 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 that's what it, it says. Words to the wise: Be careful when negotiating with McMahon's. Because that's what that's what uh, that's what every kid wants when they play in a video game. They want contract negotiations. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got to find if there's a, a version of that online or something that I can have a go at. That sounds absolutely hilarious. Now I was just still playing the. Uh, was it? Were they moved on to SmackDown v Raw at this time, or was it? Uh, mm. 
no, you SmackDown, no, you're old, just bring it or whatever. Oh, man, that, that, uh, game was, that game was amazing. What, what was this year? Was 2003? That was Here Comes the Pain, right? Yeah, it was. Yes, with Lesnar on the cover. Yeah, that, that game was amazing. It was. It was. That, 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 like, I'm not going to like around. Like, I would say from that, that 2002 to 2000 and nine stretch wwe they had really good video games like the you know your role and then here comes the pain and the, the first smackdown yeah. versus raw like they they did really good with their video game series like to this day i can still remember the the draft scene because it's rick flair versus vince mcmahon yeah and, yep. and, and and linda's like tonight <laughs> oh, we're gonna have the draft stone Cold steve austin and triple h are ineligible and that scene that one scene martin where Landstorm and Christian get drafted to the same show if they do on your game, and they they either hug if they get drafted to the same show, or if they get drafted to separate brands. Like the dejection on Virtual Computer Landstorm's face <laughs> when 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 he he realizes that the Un-Americans have been split up. It's it's magical. <laughs> Someone needs to send that oh, to Landstorm these days and get his uh, get his reaction to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm having so many flashbacks doing this podcast from these, these video games and WWE 2003. Yeah. Man, I'm about to love doing this podcast, man. It's about to be a good time. Oh, yeah, definitely. But uh, on, on to the show now. We're in uh, Safeco Field in Seattle, obviously home of the Mariners. And uh, WWE, not usually a fan of using these baseball stadiums for shows, are they? But I thought it worked really well for him. I, I, the set, though, I wanted to get into that. Mm. I, I thought it was a bit of a mess. I mean, obviously, you know, the past couple of years, especially the... Most recent New Orleans one and the one they had in Orlando uh, a couple of years ago looked spectacular. But uh, I mean, Andrew, what were your thoughts of this set here? I thought it all just like like a, a bunch of metal thrown together with no sort of personality or any kind of thought put into it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I like the set actually. I don't know really? why. I, I just, I, I, yeah, I, I like the way it, I like the aesthetic of it. And just like I like the shot that they got from uh, like at the beginning of the show, they had this wide shot from like back in the stadium, and like you could mm-hmm. just see the entire set. And I just like the way it lined up with it, with everything, and like the way the the ramp was put. Like you, it was like kind of a curve with the ramp. Like I, I always liked the the set and and the stage setup for the show. I don't know why it was just uh, it, it it just popped to me. <sighs> I, see, I, I always liked the idea of having wrestling in baseball stadiums, like even going yeah. back to like the world class days, you know, with, with Ric Flair and Kerry Von Eric fighting in the middle of the infield. Like it, it's it's always a good look. Uh, and so, like, I, I didn't have a problem with them going to Safeco. But I think when you talk about the set, like it's it's not terrible, but it just to me, it doesn't. Like, it just kind of feels like, you know, we talked about video games. It feels like this would have been the set they used in a video game. Mm. Because it's very like I, it's easily identifiable without being overly complicated, like the and complex, like the sets we get today. You know, like in, in particular, I'm thinking about I want to say WrestleMania in Levi Stadium where they had that long rampway. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the Sting Triple H WrestleMania, like that was, was that like the 2015, 2006, uh, 2015, yeah, yeah. Like that was a like an intricate set, you know, and uh, whereas with this, it's it's a little bit more simple, uh, but it, it I guess it fits the time because we're, you know, oh, three, we're kind of in this transitional phase, Martin, where we're in between the attitude era and at the beginning of what would become known as, you know, the ruthless aggression era. And so mm. it's it's this transition. And so I feel like they're still trying to figure out how they want things to look. Uh, they're not quite there yet. Uh, but it's it's not the worst set I've ever seen. You know, go back and look at some of them old, old WCW Halloween <laughs> Havoc shows. Uh, that, you know, like John and Wade recently talked about one. Like them Halloween Havoc shows was something else. 
Mar, let me ask you, like, do you think it's interesting how, you know, from this WrestleMania, they went to, they, they went, they were at Safeco Field and then they started going back to like, you know, uh, uh, like, like not, not, I don't want to call it a basic arena, but like 20,000 20, seat arenas, 15,000 seat arenas for the next, you know, couple of WrestleManias until they eventually got back in the stadiums. You think that's kind of like an interesting thing? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because um, obviously they did 20 in uh, Madison Square Garden because of the nostalgia and the history and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, that's when they started transitioning. I think, I'd, I don't know, maybe they realized that, you know, they could... Uh, Fill these uh, football stadiums yeah. because I mean, what the Houston Astrodome? What was that used for? Was that what was that a football stadium back in the day? Houston Astrodome. That was a that was a baseball stadium, yeah. right? Astrodome. Astrodome. Yeah, that Astrodome. Did didn't uh, WWE do the Astrodome? What was that in 2019? That that was the Balor Brock Lesnar. What was that the Astrodome? In was, that the Astro, was that no? What, was that this year? When, when Edge came back, what that the Astrodome in Houston? Oh, that was Astro Park. That was her Astro Park. Part <laughs> I, 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 I'm getting confused. Hold on, wait, because I'm I'm trying to think because because I know uh, Royal Rumble this year, uh, in 2020 was it Minute Maid Park? Minute Maid Park. That's what it. Yeah, that's yeah. what. It, that's what it was. That's yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, so they seem to be going back to using baseball stadiums, especially for those Royal Rumbles, don't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I like I like it. Like as as a baseball fan and a wrestling fan, like I think there's like if you, if you uh, make if you do the set right, like it can actually enhance the product. Well, onto this uh, opening video, um, I thought it was really, really good. We had uh, lots of wrestlers talking about what the event means to them, lots of training footage. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant package. It, it reminded me of something that you see uh, sort of like a, a real big sporting event, you know, like, a, I don't know, maybe sort of like an Olympic-style thing. And I thought it was really, really well done. I mean, they're always good at doing these packages, but this one really stood out to me as being uh, a real good one, just because you had a lot of training montage and things like that, and I thought they did really well, because obviously there was no real theme for this year, and then you'd see in subsequent years, you know, they'd have more themes um, around it, you know, especially when they were in oh, oh, California. There was a Hollywood. theme! There was a theme, Martin Bushby. There was an amazing tagline to this WrestleMania. I, I must, Rest- have, I must have missed that. WrestleMania 19, quote, Dare to Dream. That Oh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, cause no, cause they. I remember they mentioned on the DVD version of the video. They, they, they I remember they, they did get like that. That was like one of the things that was on the uh, before you hit play. That, that was like at the top. That was like at the top of the thing. And, and you want to know it's crazy? Like I, I checked out the uh, like the like the first five minutes of the WWE Network version, and I, I like it, it was it was something small, but like just noticed that the theme for the intro was different for the intro video package. Like it was like this this like for for the DVD version, it was like this symphony like type thing and it kind of set the mood i felt like i was about to go outside and like chase my dream or something like that that's one of the things i hate about the network man like i love that we have the network as as this place where we can you know as fans and then you know as podcasters and people that talk about this stuff we can go back and look at these shows on demand but it's like come on man all this money you make investment man from these tv deals and uh some of these other international deals that are a little bit less uh moral that we, we're not going to speak about martin bushby like all this money and you can't you can't pay jimmy hart the right to put that music in there you can't play you know metallica for inner sandman you know yeah. all these people that music could have been in here you know to enhance because that's that's half of uh that's half of the presentation is the music and that kind of connection to that time period so like i really wish granted i understand like rights and everything but it's like come on man like you it's not like you're hurting for money you could have put these real songs on these uh on these uh shows on the network well speaking of music we have um ashante opening proceedings with a rendition of america the beautiful um, 
Obviously, that song yes. means a lot more to you guys than me. Um, Ashante was like a big pop star at the time, and I remember um, as far as like uh, pop star involvement in WrestleMania, she was uh, quite a big name to have opening the show here. Ashanti's kind of uncharacteristically modern for Vince McMahon at this time to have opening the show, Andrew. Like, because uh, we've seen in the past, like he's had you know kind of these legends, uh, you know, like a Ray Charles, like uh, uh, Gladys Knight. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it was it Gladys or Aretha? Open the It was Aretha. 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 Yeah. Uh, you know yeah. James Brown. Uh, you know he's had these legendary figures, but to have somebody current, you know, uh, and, had, and uh, not Kid Rock current, but like Ashanti current. <laughs> like there's a difference in that. Yeah, I, th- I think th- then he had Kerry Hilson at one of the WrestleManias perform uh, "America the Beautiful." It was at the I one think with. So. Uh, the one with Snoop Dogg hosted it, I think. Yes, that yeah, that was yeah. that was probably like a hundred percent Snoop saying like, yeah, <laughs> "Vince, you need to you need to uh, put my girl Carrie on." You feel me? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I know he had Fantasia. Um, well, yes. I, I know John John Legend one of the years. Like, yeah, you know they, you know, remember he had. I remember I seen one tweet. It was kind of funny. Somebody was like. Somebody was like, he had more, more, more black WrestleMania hoes than he did world champions. I don't know. Mm. That <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's sad, but true. <laughs> I was like, man, Vince and man got to get it together, man. Yeah, like, like this iTunes playlist is fire. He got Salt and Pepper, Run DMC. <laughs> but, but, but when it comes to booking these world champions, as we'll talk about later on on this very oh, show, Martin yeah. Bushby. He hadn't been able to pull the trigger. <laughs> I cannot wait to get to that match. Oh, no. Yeah, we'll get there for sure. Uh, and calling the action on this one, we've got Raw, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross and SmackDown, Taz and Michael Cole. And uh, first matchup, we had uh, Matt Hardy against Rey Mysterio uh, for the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, Matsy's version one character here that had been debuted the year before and Obviously, WWF's seen way more in Jeff around this time as the more popular of the two. But I thought version one was a fun character with the Matt facts on his entrance packages. He had Matt strongly likes mustard. Matt has never locked his car keys <laughs> in his car. Matt considers himself a sex symbol, some of the more amusing ones. But um, obviously, we've seen over the years, Matt's shown himself as being really good at career reinvention. I mean, um, were you a fan of uh, Matt Hardy version one here, Andrew? Yeah, I, I was a fan of Matt version. Well, like you said, I always liked the uh, little Matt facts on the side. They were just like some of the corniest stuff that you would see. <laughs> yeah. and it, it was it was it was it was actually funny though. But like like just like specifically speaking about like the match overall, like I, I did want to ask the both of you, Martin, I'll come to you first, and I want to get Nate's thoughts. Like just seeing like the moves that they like specifically what Ray Mysterio was doing back in the day, and how he was just springboarding off the ropes and doing like. You know, reverse, uh, re- like reverse her coronas and stuff like that, like spike rondas and stuff like that. Like just seeing this stuff, like, what w- would y'all say? Like, what w- would what would y'all place on like on, on a top five list? What would you put Rey Mysterio as far as greatest of all time? Cause like, like just like me watching this match and like just seeing like where he is now and like how he w- like it's crazy because he's in better shape now than he was back then, but still like doing the crazy stuff that he was doing and the innovative stuff that he was doing, like it, it's kind of hard not to say Ray Mysterio is, isn't the greatest of all time, if not one of the greatest of all time. You mean as far as flyers go? Just, no, just like professional wrestling, just his influence mm. on the like the business, the in-ring portion of the business. 
Yeah, that's true, actually, because they talk to a lot of these sort of, like, quote-unquote WWE superstars these days, and it's always Eddie and Ray, isn't it, that they grew up watching, you know? Yeah. You like, so even you like the Sasha Banks and that, they always shout out that mm-hmm. Ray and Eddie were the ones. And certainly watching those uh, Nitros back in sort of the late 90s, and he was always the standout in the Cruiserweight division for me. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you talk about Ray, uh, he's somebody who obviously is one of the greatest cruiserweights or light heavyweights, however you want to classify it, uh, mm-hmm. of all time. Like, I think, you know, he's probably top five in that category, along with somebody like a Juicy Thunder Liger, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, like, wrestling overall, Andrew, I think it's it's kind of difficult because I feel like Ray has been very influential for a very long time, but he's not going to get maybe the credit he deserves or the credit that he's due because that, other component, you know, being able to talk somebody into arena was never really quite uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it's just because Ray didn't have that skill set or if, you know, they never really put Ray in a position. Like, because we've seen, like, recently, the stuff with him and Dominic. Like, Ray can actually cut a promo. And I don't know if that's something that Ray had to learn or if it's something that they never really gave Ray the opportunity to do back in the day. So I feel like that kind of hurts Ray a bit when you're talking about, you know, the greatest of all time. Because I'd say uh-huh. what separates Ray from Eddie is not only was Eddie giving you that giving you that business bell to bell, but Eddie could Eddie could talk you into the fight, right? And Ray never had that gear, at least was never allowed to show that gear. So yeah, I'd put Ray up there in in the greatest wrestler of all time discussion. Uh, but I think he's kind of like you know we talk about NBA, like there's guys like Magic and and Michael and LeBron and Bill Russell and Kareem. That's on a certain level, and then you got a guy like you know let's say. Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, uh, who are great, but they're just kind of a level under. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Ray might just be on that next level under just because they didn't give him the time back in the day to be that that total package in terms of a, a performer. Yeah, it, the only like say it's it just that that kind of came to my head because uh, like you you always hear like especially like in, in in the current WWE product they always refer to Ray as the one the greatest luchador of all time and like when I hear that I'm always like why they don't never just say one of the best <laughs> professional wrestlers of all time but like just like because that, that wouldn't fit the, that wouldn't fit the story Andrew <laughs> like like we we already told you Randy Orton had the greatest wrestling match of all time earlier this year so how can Ray <laughs> be better than Randy Orton. <laughs> It, it is. It is. Martin, take it away, sir. Take it away, Mark. <laughs> uh, I think this was the first WrestleMania where he started dressing up and cosplay, and he's obviously mm, his dead yeah. little costume, isn't he? Um, this is one of my favorite costumes, I think. He's obviously done the Joker and things like that yep. uh, over the years. This, this is a fun little match. It felt like a WCW Cruiserweight match almost, though, because they, they didn't get what they get, like six minutes, Andrew? Five, five, six minutes, yeah. It was a good yeah, like they didn't. They didn't give him a lot of time, but Ray and Matt were able to get, you know, all of their stuff in. And I, I thought it was entertaining for what it was. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's just a hot opener. Like, say, about five minutes, they all got the shit in. And uh, Matt won, which apparently was the first time he'd won at WrestleMania up until this yep. point. Uh, bit of a factoid there for you. But, um, yeah, quick opener. Real, quite real quick, like, we can't we can't uh, get through this, this particular match without going back to Matt Hardy, going back to V1. And talking about how amazing that theme song is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> theme song is great. <laughs> that theme song got you hyped for a Matt Hardy match. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you guys think of Shannon Moore? Because he kind of sort of like seconded Matt here and he was around him and he was obviously, you know, grew up with mm. Jeff and Matt around the Carolinas and he never sort of like really got a shot. Do you think he was like just, you know, sort of like a, a poorer version of the Hardy Boys? <sighs> 
he's kind of like, you go ahead, Nate. You go ahead, Nate. I, well, I was gonna say, Andrew Shannon Moore, and to a maybe to a lesser extent, I feel like uh, Hurricane Helms. They mm. kind of unfortunately always get compared to the Hardys because they came up together, right? You know, it's <laughs> it's like. It's like if you remember the Wu Tang Clan, right? Like you, you got right. You, you got you a good rapper, you got. But you ain't no Method Man. You ain't no Ghostface Killer, brother. And so it's like, yeah, I think Shannon Moore is a fine worker. Uh, and I think like I, I'm really uh high on uh you know what Shane Helms did over the years. Like I think that dude is uh, criminally underrated. But when you compare them to Matt and Jeff, it's like yeah, like you're not gonna get the same amount of shine just because these two dudes are on another level than you are mm-hmm. and like i was just gonna mention like i i i, I mean i me personally like i, I never saw like shannon moore's that like I, I guess leader of the the cruiserweight division at the time like i remember he did have like that singles run when he had the like the spike hair mm. uh in, in, mm-hmm. in wwe like when he kind of had that thing going on but i felt like he always kind of played like a good second to matt hardy like i even remember uh like back in the um it, it was the the royal rumble for this uh, did th- that year, the 2003 year, like he was all, like, I think Jeff Hardy tried to get Matt a swanton and like Shannon Moore would come in there and take it for him and like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like just doing like little sneaky stuff like that. So like that, I, I thought Shannon, Shannon Moore was like good for his role in, in this position, like being a second to Matt Hardy. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I don't want to get Nate's heart rate up here, but we next had the uh, Miller Catfight Girls. I mean, uh, <laughs> women's evolution, this ain't. I mean, this sort of stuff was all over WWE at the time, weren't it? Be a diva putting matches or the, yeah. you know. I mean, this was definitely pay-for-play with Miller Light here. I mean, Nate, this that, this is the first and only time I've seen anything like this in terms of the Miller Light Catfight Girls. But was that a big advertising campaign they had going on in America? Yeah, like there was so much kind of, uh, I mean, it's it's funny, like when you talk about 03 to now, it's only been 17 years, but the amount of sexualism that was put into the advertisement back then, whether you're talking about, you know, the Miller Lite Catfight Girls or uh, I want to say it was Bud Light who had the commercial back in the day with the, like they go through a list of everything that men, you know, red-blooded American males like. And then the the button at the end of, you know, I like football, I like beer, I like burgers, and twins. And then they just show these two Jesus. blonde oh, twins in the bikinis. And it's like, yeah, like that was a thing in, in that time period that has, uh, like, thankfully kind of faded to the wayside. Like, I'm, a, I'm all here for it. You know, I get it, man. I'm, 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 a, I'm a brother. I'm a dude with eyes. I, I like looking at women, but it's like, come on, man. You ain't got to do this to sell me a beer that I was already going to buy a Miller Lite. <laughs> yeah. I think I think you summed it up perfectly there. Now, if you yeah. need, now if you want to do that to sell me some car insurance or or some health, so like something I'm not interested in buying, okay, maybe you can put the twins out there with guy code with the guy code lizard, and I'll be like, okay, because that's something I really wasn't trying to buy anyway. But I'm buying the beer, I'm buying the burgers, I'm buying this pay per view. You didn't need to put put that on the screen. <laughs> Brilliant. And then, then after this, we had a, which was introduced as WWE's mm. favorite band in the world, Limp Biscuit. I mean, uh, they got roundly <laughs> booed by a lot of the audience. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to that man, Fred Durst, for picking up this check. <laughs> Playing The Undertaker out here with Rolling, and that song was everywhere at the time, weren't it? And yeah. it was like number one over here in the UK. I used to play it in all the clubs last hour and every. I loved it at the time, but looking back now, uh, yeah. Fred Durst, quite the guy here. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of musical performances in wrestling, but this is the only time I think it kind of works, Martin, mm. is when you've got the band playing out the 
the wrestler to their theme at a big event. Like even even say what you will about this terrible song, but like I feel it it works. Even though the like I don't know why they chose that song with the Undertaker because it doesn't really fit the character. But hey, it's it's 2003, man. It's no rules. We 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 uh we are we in the wild wild west right now. Andrew, we're uh, Limbiscuit on your radar as a seven-year-old. <laughs> no, uh, no, you, you want to know what? I, I, I like. I always like the uh, the keep on rolling song for the motorcycle version of the, of the Undertaker, like mm. the, the the live performance. It it, it it was a you know it was it was a, it was a decent de- decent little live performance. Like you mentioned, the crowd kind of booed them when they uh when they first when they first got introduced. But you know that's not the deal there. <laughs> but but uh yeah yeah man, like the, the, this version of the Undertaker specifically uh you know hold on wait so I I remember uh. I I I think I, I think I heard like it was either Michael Cole or so, so, somebody mentioned it. Uh, like the, the the this was like around this time. This was like the like the the the, the really pushing of the streak or something like that. Like it was mm-hmm. in some doc some documentary. Like they started. It was like I want to say two thousand two or two thousand and one where they started really uh going forward with the streak and like acknowledging it at, at, at on TV and stuff like that. So it was like I think he what, what was he like. Uh, eight and zero around this time, or well, eleven, 11, this 11 and zero. Yeah, eleven and zero. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was it. Was kind of interesting to look back and you know see that kind of thing. Yeah, because obviously this match was originally supposed to be uh, Undertaker and Nathan Jones against Show and Train, but uh, storyline wise, Jones was injured on heat. I think in reality, <laughs> WWE had like zero faith in Jones at, at, at all at this point. Because um, I mean, it's interesting. This year, they really went all out signing big guys like Jones, Matt Morgan, Hind Wright, just big dudes who, who couldn't work but were big. They seemed to have a a real thing for uh, these big guys around that time, didn't they, Nate? Yeah, like a lot of. Just big dudes that looked physically impressive, but had muscles for no reason because they they couldn't really utilize it in the ring. Uh, you mentioned Heidenreich. Funny story, real quick. I used to work at a uh, sports memorabilia store down here in Virginia, and occasionally we have you know different athletes come in and do signings. You know, Mike Vick or Allen Iverson. Um, you know, we'd have. Pro wrestlers come through, like Rey Mysterio came through. He was cool. Uh, HBK mm. came through. Uh, he was less cool. Uh, mm. But then, <laughs> I mean, at the, at the time, uh, HBK or Born Again. HBK. I was gonna say this. This would this would have been like uh, this would have been like oh six oh seven HBK. Wow. So yeah, I, I assume he's a he's a cooler person now. Uh, but the one that always stands out to me was we brought in Heidenreich. And your man Heidenreich was just kind of there. Like, you could tell he was – he wasn't being a jerk, but he wasn't really into the the whole autograph deal. And so he's outside. This is back when I used to smoke. And so I'm having a smoke break. Heidenreich's out there having a cigarette. And he's like, uh, oh, it's crazy in there, isn't it, brother? I was like, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy in there. So uh, what y'all got going around in this town? Like, you know, man, it's – you can get in anything you want to, man. You know, I, I assume, you know, you just got to call people, you know, because I'm not really trying to have this conversation with Hyde, right? So then he just kind of, I'm getting ready to go back inside. And he's like, hey, brother, you know where I could get some weed and women around these parts? Oh, buddy. And I'm like, 
Like, now here's the thing, Andrew, and maybe this is me being prejudiced, because if Rey Mysterio would have asked me that question, I'd have been like, booyaka, booyaka. But since Heidenreich asked me the question, I was like, mm, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I don't smoke. I don't drink. Like, I just saw you smoking a cigarette. I'm trying to quit. <laughs> and so I went back inside. I was like, yeah, there was no way. That, that that me, and for people that haven't seen me, I'm not the tallest man in the world. I'm not the most muscle-bound dude in the world. I'm not going out to the bar with Heidenreich in Newport News, Virginia, because it might be something popping off. And I'm like, I'm, I can't trust Heidenreich. Like, I ain't never fought beside this man before. And so, yeah, that was a situation where discretion was the better part of valor, Martin Bush, because I was like, nah, I mean, I'm not going out clubbing with, with, with uh, your man Heidenreich over here. Oh, I can I can totally see you and uh, Ray Mysterio and Alan Iverson hanging out at the. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, now that that's a party. Yeah. <laughs> well, any any stories from Iverson's trip through the uh, thing? I bet he was an interesting character to have in the store. Oh yeah, he's cool. See, I I, I covered him when he was in high school. Um, you know, working at the uh, high school TV station. Like I covered Iverson, I covered Vic. So yeah, he's he's good people, man. Like I know people. Like there's an image that Allen Iverson has, Andrew. But yeah, like if you actually yeah. talk to the dude, man, like yeah, he's he's done some stuff that that he would tell you that he's not proud of. But like he's actually a a, a, a down to earth kind of guy. Uh, like obviously, sometimes he'd be on that superstar stuff sometimes. Because why wouldn't you if you have like multiple shoes named after you? Uh, like so he's like down to earth but at the same time he's like yeah man you know we can kick it man you know just call my people man and then he hops in a limo and you never hear from him again yeah. so it's <laughs> like like he was cool man like like everybody was cool for the most part except for hbk and maybe we just caught sean sean on a bad day and hiding right <laughs> yeah and hiding right yeah well hiding right was cool i just wasn't going out with hiding right brother like that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't on the agenda <laughs> So we're back to the match here, and uh, it, it, listeners, can, the listeners can really tell Martin we don't want to talk about this terrible match because yeah. uh, we, we spent the last five minutes talking about a guy who isn't even on this show. You, you want to know what's crazy though? Like specifically about this match, the, I think the Undertaker had been feuding with like Big Show and A Train for like five months, dude. Like because I, I, I remember, I, I remember they, I remember Big Show injured him. Like he mm. threw him off the stage, and then Undertaker was out of they they know storyline out of action, and then he came back at the Royal Rumble, and then he fought A Train at uh the No Way Out pay per view, mm. and then that's when they they sort of they kind of I guess they lump Nathan Nathan Jones in, but like it was kind kind of like a funny story real hit like real quick. I'm, I interview uh James Tillis, who was the former head of security for WWE from uh '96 to 2011, and he mm. told me the story uh Nathan Jones. Uh, Nathan, like this, this was like a couple months after after this. Uh, it was in August of two thousand and three. Uh, WWE had a tour of Australia, and and Nathan Jones from Australia. So it was it was uh James, Paul Heyman, and uh Nathan Jones. They were like kind of in the same room, the same flight, uh, heading to Australia. And when it was time to leave Australia, uh, everybody was getting ready from the, at the hotel, getting ready to go. And I, uh, James had went to go, you know, tell Nate, you know, it's time to uh, yeah, tell Nate it's time to go. And then Nathan was like, I'm not going back, like straight up, like I'm staying here, like I'm not doing, and then he quit, like he straight up quit WWE, like he didn't get back on the flight, and he just like, that That was it, I, I, that was hilarious to me, like the fact that he was just like, because I, I mean, Nate, Nate, as you mentioned, I, I, it was out the Nate Oman that you mentioned, like they didn't really do much of anything with Nathan Jones for the most part, so you could kind of see why he was probably like, you know, I will, we, we already here, I probably got paid for doing the live events here, and I'm, right. I'm just going to stay home, like why would I go back on the flight? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't blame him either. Yeah, because they weren't doing anything with him, and he's, he's had a pretty decent acting career he's in the new Mad Max <clears> film <throat> and things like that. So, I mean, is there doing? any way to treat the former World Wrestling All Stars Heavyweight Champion? <laughs> <laughs> don't disrespect that man like that. <laughs> Like Nate already said, this was, uh, you know, not the greatest match. And, uh, yeah, Undertaker won. Um, this saw his last year being the American Badass, and it was kind of mm. a bit of an uneventful year for him. You know, like you know there Andrew he was feuding with Big Show for what seemed like forever until he fetched the uh, dead man back at WrestleMania 20. But um, after this, the, the catfight girls were back. Uh, most interesting <laughs> thing about this segment is that Tori Wilson and Stacey Cleaver were backstage. Obviously, this is the the year Tori was in Playboy, and they're both reading the Playboy. It's like, do people do that? You know, you do a pictorial <laughs> somebody, and then like, oh, let's check these pictures out after, yeah, I just thought that was bizarre. You know, you, you mentioned that, and I, I, wanted to get, I wanted to get Nate's thoughts about this, because, like, they, they were actually doing something, and Martin, I know you know this, too. Like, before this, I'm, I'm like, they, they were actually doing something kind of decent with Tori Wilson, like, when they had the storyline with her father, and she was beefing with Don Marie. Mm. You know what I mean? They, they, they had like the big, the, the, the big blow off match at, yeah. at Royal Rumble. Like I, I was like, that was kind of like a decent, you know, like a decent little storyline right there. I was like, that was like, and it just seeing like, you know, how they go from 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 that to just like her, you know, being beefing with the the Miller Lite catfight girls and in a backstage segment is crazy. <laughs> it's it's always weird to me how WWE weaves like real life endorsements or accomplishments that their performers get into the world of their show, right? Because, like, we see Stacey with, uh, and Tori with the Playboys. Like, even, like, recently, we've seen, uh, who was it, Mandy Rose that was on the cover of Muscle and Fitness or something like that? Mm-hmm. And she's walking around backstage like, like, girl, you're at work. Why are you reading this magazine with, with, with yourself on the cover? Like, I, th- <laughs> I know you have to, like, let people know that these things are occurring, uh, but the way they kind of jam these things in is always hilarious to me, Martin, because it's like, yeah, these, these two women... In, in the world of the WWE, these two women are at the biggest show of the year, and they're not working. And so they're backstage reading Playboy for whatever reason for the articles. I guess they're really well written. Uh, <laughs> and they're beefing with these beer girls. And so, yeah, that's – that's. hope you got paid well for that one, Tori. <laughs> <laughs> So from uh, one terrible women's segment to an actually decent match as we had uh, Mm. three-way Trish Stratus, Jazz and Victoria for the women's title. I thought it was a really enjoyable match. It's a far cry from the usual sort of like misogynistic bra and panties bullshit that they forced the demons to do around this time period. A lot of Mm. near falls, great finish with Steve Richards interfering, backfiring with Trish hitting the chick kick and becoming the new women's champion, sort of like for your feel-good mania moment. Um, what are your thoughts on this match? And uh, specifically, obviously, Trish Strauss, you know, has gone down sort of like in WWE history as being sort of like, you know, that transitional person from this Divas area into sort of like, you know, straight up women's wrestling. But um, I thought Jazz was a, a good uh, cog in that wheel as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to get a quick hot take in real quick. It's the debut episode. Got to have, have a nice <laughs> hot take. Other, other than... Charlotte versus Oscar at WrestleMania 34. This is the best women's WrestleMania match that I have seen. Oh, and I'm leaving okay. it. Okay, I, I love this match, and that's all I got to say. Mm. Yeah, this this match is is excellent. Like I think, you know, when you talk about Trish Stratus, and if you're you know if you're to believe WWE speak, like Trish is the greatest female performance they've had. You know, up up until you know five years from now when it's Charlotte. Uh, yeah, yeah. But 
<laughs> like I feel like this is kind of the the start or kind of the the time period, Martin, where Trish starts to take that step. And a lot of the credit for Trisha's development, and she said it, you know, has to be given to women like Jazz and Victoria, who helped get her to that next level. I think Jazz is somebody who was underrated for her time. Like I, I love uh, her and Teddy Long when they when they were together. Uh, <laughs> like it was just amazing. Like that that tan, like Teddy being the mouthpiece for this intimidating physical woman, uh, and then Victoria. Like Victoria, low key, might be my favorite WWE women's wrestler of all time. Like I think that she, even in these, because because you're right, Martin. This is a this is a weird time period where we're still in that divas era, but we've got, you know, mixed in with the fashion models, we've got women that can actually work. And I feel like Victoria in particular was somebody who could take these models and get a good match out of them, uh, and and play an effective heel. Whether she was doing like the crazy gimmick with Stevie Richards, or you know when when she had, I like I think she had like a checklist. Uh, during Raw after this, where she was like checking off all of her opponents down the list until she got to the uh, women's championship, and she was always somebody who I felt was a good, a good partner for whoever they were trying to push at the time, uh, and and you could get a good match out of them, putting them in there with Victoria. So yeah, this this was a really good match. Uh, like I'd have to go back and look through all of the women's matches at wrestlemania to to get on that boat with andrew but uh yeah this 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 certainly has to be up there because i think all three women went out there and, and uh put on a good a good show Nate, Nate, let me ask you this on, on on a serious note right here as far as jazz goes like i feel like jazz has had a very very successful career in professional wrestling like even outside of wwe do you think just as a as a black performer like do you think that she has gotten her flowers for what she's done in professional wrestling that she kind of like not not saying that she's close to retiring i don't think she's done anytime soon i know she was at the um she was at the Indie Wrestling Expo, uh, mm. I think, a couple of weeks ago. But, like, do you think Jazz has really gotten her performance, for her, her flowers for what she's done in, in professional wrestling? No, I don't think so. And I think, you know, part of that is, you know, because she is a woman of color. But I think it's also, like, there are so many women that, that kind of fall in that Jazz class that kind of came up at that time, uh, you know, and then kind yes, of the, the golden era of Shimmer, right, where you got, like, uh, people like Sarah Del Rey or, or uh, cheerleader Melissa or Lufisto, right, that didn't get their due because for whatever reason, they didn't fit what the WWE had as a mold for what their women superstars look like. And I think like the fact that Jazz even made it onto the roster, the fact that Jazz had this great match at WrestleMania, the fact that Jazz was a, a former women's champion, like I think that shows you how good she was. And if I were AEW, right? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you how to spend your money, Tony Khan. But if I was AEW, it's like, why wouldn't you? If she wants to do it, why wouldn't you bring in somebody like a Jazz or bring in somebody like a Lufisto? These veterans that could not only still work, but they could help bring up your women's division because there's some talent in that AEW women's division, but it's really, really young talent, and they need, mm-hmm. you know, like much in the same way that Trish needed Jazz to kind of get her to that next level. These women right now in AEW need that veteran, you know, to kind of get them to that next step. And I think like hiring Jazz would be a, a great move for that company. Yeah, I agree. I think especially someone like a Jazz or a Victoria who can probably still yeah, go in the yeah. ring. Because like these people in AEW are having to learn TV to TV, aren't they? And it doesn't seem like they've got that veteran person who can sort of like guide mm-hmm. them and show them how to do a TV match and things like that. And it would be perfect to have someone like that in there. 
Yeah, I think Victoria, like, even in her TNA run and her Impact run, like, Impact was up and down because that's what Impact does. Like, they, <laughs> the only the only thing for sure in Impact is Sting would say is nothing's for sure. But <laughs> she was good in that. Like, she got some really good matches out of Taryn Terrell in particular. So, yeah, like, Victoria, Jazz, uh, Lufisto, like, if I'm Tony Khan, like, besides swimming in a pool of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck. The next thing I'm doing after, after I dry off Andrew from swimming in that money pool is I'm, I'm calling one of those women to bring in or all of those women. Hell, you got the money and, and bringing mm-hmm. them in to help, help out the women's division. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm 100% behind that. Yeah. So next up, we're uh, backstage with The Rock, who's obviously full on heel here. Rock says he's, uh, he's there for one <laughs> reason only, to beat Steve Austin and couldn't give a damn about the people. And, uh, Rock healing it up here after the audience had sort of turned on him following his time away from the company to make films. I mean, we can talk more of the match later when we get into Austin v. Rock, but Rock was brilliant around this time period. Man, oh every week With good. his guitar in hand, singing about how awful the town was. I remember a Cleveland yep. one that was absolutely brilliant. The Cleveland one was brilliant. I think, and, and Andrew will probably agree with me on this one, my favorite one is still uh, was it the Sacramento one. Oh my God! Yes, uh, we yeah, talking about the Lakers are going to come in and sweep yeah. you. <laughs> so the the Rock, like specifically speaking, about like he, just that whole stretch that he had is like the 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 Hollywood version of Rock. Mm-hmm. Like he, he he did some of the best promos that I think like that I think really stand out for him as far as his career goes. But like this one backstage at at WrestleMania kind of really set the tone. Like this was like a, a real solid promo to, to to amp up him and Steve Austin's match. Like I remember. Like I like the first. I, I think it was the first thing he said. He asked him about the people, and The Rock was like, "The people." And he paused, and then he, he got the immediate reaction from the crowd. <laughs> and then it, 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 and then he said it again, and then he waited for him. And of course, they responded. Like he, mm-hmm. like I swear, like this, this dude had like these people on a string, man. Like it was like, oh my goodness, it was yeah. Great. Like you see why he is arguably like the best talker of all time. Like he's up there. Yeah. He's in the discussion. Like and the subtle things they did with the character, right? Like even with the theme music, right? Like I love yep, this. Yep. This might be my favorite version of the rock's theme where you get that Ooh, there, there helicopter go, shot there going over go. LA. I was, I was waiting it, for somebody to say yeah, that. And, it, and then you get the rock is cooking. And then it goes into the theme. It's like, that is like, it's, it's a small thing, Martin, but it tells you everything you need to know yeah. about that character in like 30 seconds. And Annie, Annie whooped on that man who shall not be named uh, mm. at the last pay per view before this. <laughs> I just had to get that. Just had to get that out there. And that made him a baby face to me. Take it away, Bart. <laughs> SmackDown tag titles: uh, Team Angle, Charlie Asson, Shelton Benjamin v. Los mm. Eddie and Chavo v. Chris hey. Benoit and Rhino. And uh, the men in this tag team for me are a large part of why SmackDown with the original brand script, was known as the workers' brand. I mean, Eddie and yeah. Chavo, not only great in the ring, but had that great vignettes around this time, especially one they did on the golf course. But for <laughs> this match specifically, not the best work by any of these guys, but you're always going to get a solid multi-man. I feel like they used to do a lot of multi-man tags around this time, and they were always pretty solid. Mm. Yeah, and Martin, I want to ask you, so like, uh, I, like, was Edge supposed to be involved in this match? Like, was he supposed to be like some like a, a part of this match or like involved in this story? Like, cause I know he had he had neck surgery the year before, right? And I know he because like the, the thing is, uh, I, I was when I was watching the, the DVD portion of it, they have like this uh like this little kind of like mini documentary about Edge and like him having the surgery and knowing that he was going to miss the following year's WrestleMania. 
and it was like kind of crazy to look because you know back then they, you really didn't see that much of like the 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 the, the real life stuff like you didn't really see that so it was kind of cool like watching that and just hearing him speak about like it, it, like out of character speaking about like him you know having to take that time away and like him like having to watch WrestleMania from the sidelines and and stuff like that. So that was kind of like a, a cool little retrospect thing to kind of see, like, because considering now, like, that's that's kind of the norm. Like, you know, when you see hear about somebody getting injured, you, like, you kind of expect there'd be some type of documentary to come out later in the year or the, or the following year to kind of chronicle what, they, what they've been up to since that injury. Yeah, I'm not sure that he was supposed to be part of this match, because was this around the same time period, maybe uh, a month or so after when he started like, teaming with Hogan on SmackDown and things like that? Yeah. I can't remember. Mm, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, Matt, did I, I, I like, come back then? Because I, I remember Taz had mentioned during the match, he said something about Edge. But, but you know, but I, I think that may, have to, uh, that may have had to do with uh, Chris Ben, like knowing Chris Ben was past injuries, like with neck, 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 with neck injuries and stuff like that. And he kind of just mentioned Edge and passing, mm. talking about neck injuries. So I think that was kind of what that was. Nate, what were your thoughts on this match and uh, these teams around this time period? I mean, it, you like the talent, like you were mentioning, Martin, is just outstanding. Uh, from what I remember, because this, this is a uh, Besides the Undertaker Nathan Jones match, which I skipped for other reasons, like this was the mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. the only match on the show that I skipped just because I can't watch Benoit matches anymore. Right, yeah. uh, but from what I remember, like all all six guys did their thing, and you know I feel like we know how good Los Guerreros were. Like even though I think Chavo's a bit underrated, but sure. I feel I feel like people forgot, man, how legit Benjamin and Haas were. Like, those guys were just fantastic. And I think that, unfortunately, like, that tag division was so deep, right? Like, like it's, it's kind of like, and again, I hate to bring AEW up on, on, this, on this WrestleMania show, but it's like AEW's tag division. It's like, yeah, like, best friends are a really, really good team, but there's probably five teams better than them yeah. in the division. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to get the shine that they probably deserve. And, and I feel like that about Shelton and Charlie. Like, those guys were really, really strong. Unfortunately, like, they couldn't compete when you got teams like, uh, you know, Eddie and, and, and Chavo, who not only can do the stuff in the ring, but they have that charisma, uh, you know, and all the vignettes and stuff. So, yeah, like, this was a, a really strong time. And it shows you like that, that, like you were saying, that blue brand, like how strong they were. What do you think about Shelton's? I mean, you mentioned earlier about uh, Duty being terrible with black wrestlers earlier, but like, what do you think about Shelton Benjamin when he went solo? I mean, they tried a couple of things with him, didn't they? And he had that cracker of a match against uh, Shawn Michaels on Raw. Yep. Do you think it was his connection with the audience or the lack of uh, sort of like faith in him backstage? It was a match that was so good that they used that one clip for the next, what, 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> still using it. Still using it. And I like... Here's the thing with Shelton, right? Because I understand when people say, like, one of his shortcomings is he's not the greatest talker in the world. And I'm like, okay, I understand. But how many people have we seen, Martin, that are really good in ring? Like, hell, we, we, you know, we're talking about Chris Benoit right now. Chris Benoit, phenomenal performer. Not a great talker. No. You know, there's ways, if you really are invested in pushing somebody, there's ways to kind of hide their faults. You know, Paul Heyman Get was a master. Uh, that in ECW. So it's like, if you really wanted to make Shelton Benjamin a champion after those matches with Triple H, after those matches with HBK, then you could have found a way. Like you could, Paul Heyman, Kurt Angle, there's mouthpieces out there that you could have gave this man if you thought that he couldn't talk uh, to the level of your world champion. 
But no, they went the other way with it, Martin. We, first of all, we're going to dye this man's hair blonde. Uh, you know, because that's that's what's gonna get him over. Then that didn't work, and so they're like, okay, let's bring in his mother, Jesus. and they bring in Thea Vidal, who was a fine actress in her own right. But they bring in Thea Vidal to play this stereotypical overweight, you know, black mother with high blood pressure, and they wonder why they didn't get him over, Martin. Like, why didn't the fans respond to this man with with this mother that is always having to deal with sexual advances from people like Ric Flair or Goldust for whatever damn yeah. reason? So mm-hmm. it's like, to me, when people say, yeah, Shelton, Shelton was good, but he couldn't have been a world champion. It's like, well, why not? He you know, this is, this is he professional could've. wrestling. Like, you can make, if, if you tell a good enough story, you can make anybody a credible champion, basically. And so like, I feel like if they were invested in Shelton, they could have done something with him. But obviously, they're like, you know, they, they saw Shelton at a certain level, you know. Let me hop in on this beat down, man, because they, they, they got me after. <laughs> get him, <get> nephew. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they got me after, Martin. But, but no, nah, man, just to echo what he said, like, when you, when you look at today, like, and I, no, I, I, don't, like, I don't like being one of those dudes who always, like, J- jumping on certain certain dudes, especially if I never had the chance to say it to him in real life. But like, just looking at Braun Strowman, like, dog, they put the title on him. Like, look, it, mm. his recent run, this stretch from WrestleMania to when he recently mm. lost the title was was it was terrible. I did not yep. enjoy a lick of, of what he was doing character wise. In ring work wasn't good. I did not enjoy it at all. And like, but he he's a credible reason in their eyes to be a champion regardless of whether Roman Reigns wasn't there or not but still like looking at Sheldon like Sheldon had everything man he was athletic had a good look was in shape he could he was doing stuff that most people wasn't doing at the time in the ring like he Mm -hmm. was just solid all the the way around like and it was like you said it was ways to look around the promo skills that they may have thought that he didn't have or maybe it was just a thing of them not giving him the opportunity or them not giving him the right preparation to fully enhance his skills in, in, in that specific department. But it's like, it's crazy because I, I definitely think that Sheldon could have been a world heavyweight champion. He could have been a WWE champion, but it's like now, you know, you kind of never know. And, and like right now I'm kind of looking at the situation now with the hurt business, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, dude, if there was ever a time, if you were going to go all the way with Bobby Lashley, it is now yeah, yeah. to do that. Like, and, and and I like Drew McIntyre. Don't get me wrong. I like Drew McIntyre. I really do. Drew McIntyre is one of my favorite guys in WWE right now just because he's very intense and he comes off very realistic. But, like, if, if you were to ever go all the way with somebody right now in WWE that you haven't gone with before, and, like, you, they, you could kind of you could kind of uh, 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 relate that to kind of, you know, Bobby Lashley's early career in WWE to Sheldon Benjamin. Maybe they didn't go all the way with Lashley because they didn't think he had the promo ability. Now look at Lashley. Lashley has MVP who has came into WWE and elevated like five black performers in the span of five months. You know what yep. I'm saying? So like, so like when you, when you look at Bobby Lashley right now, like why wouldn't you put the title? Like you legit have no reason. Bobby yeah. Lashley, like I, I'm like a hundred percent show and i think we all would agree on this but what we've seen from the her business so far that if crowds were there they would be over they would probably be one of the most yeah, over yeah. acts on the show yeah. without yeah. question so like it's just no reason to not put especially after this like the raw that happened the, this, the week before we uh recorded this where they were like the baby faces at the end of the show like yes. coming out to yes. step up for raw and so like and here's the thing like martin like i'm not gonna say nothing bad about that man braun Strowman because i don't want to get these hands but <laughs> but just imagine, like, instead of the Braun Strowman title reign that we had since WrestleMania, if that was a Big E title run, mm, how much more entertaining that would be. And, like, Big E would seem to be somebody that has what Vince McMahon typically likes, like a big muscle-bound dude. 
but he's a big muscle bound dude that can also wrestle and can also more importantly like talk. Mm-hmm. Like Big E is entertaining. Big E is somebody talk that, to me. that if look, if you're about trying to get on these mainstream platforms and granted, Martin, we can't really be live on a set right now because of COVID. But Biggie's the kind of guy that you could put on a Tonight Show. You could put on Today Show. Yep. You could put on Ellen whenever Ellen gets her act together. That you, <laughs> Biggie is the kind of guy that you could send to these local stations in these towns that you hold in these pay per views and talk to the local media in a way that somebody like a Braun Strowman can't. You know, because Biggie has that natural just kind of charisma. And so it's like when you say that. We don't have anybody on the roster that's uh, a person of color, uh, particularly, you know, black or Latino that could be a world champion. It's like, no, man, like there are people who are qualified, Martin, but you have to be willing to kind of, you know, put the work in to let your audience know, hey, like we believe in this guy or we believe in this girl. Because unfortunately, like your audience has been trained to not believe you Mm. when you put people of color in these positions and one of the reasons why your audience has been trained to believe that martin is something we're going to talk about in probably about 10 minutes yeah oh boy i'm going i'm going to keep uh foreshadowing keep the ammo in the pocket for that one man keep the ammo in the pocket <laughs> that, that, we, 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 we gonna go off on that one but yeah go ahead martin well uh next up we had uh sean michaels against chris jericho i mean sean Come back the previous year at SummerSlam and looked fantastic in that street fight against Triple H. I remember at the time mm-hmm. he was there. He was back and forth about coming back full time. I think Jericho even said in his book he pitched the two of them at WrestleMania and Sean was unsure if he'd be around for that long. But then fast forward a few months and uh, pretty easy story to tell between these two, innit? I mean, Jericho growing up idolizing Sean and doing everything mm. he could to be like him, but now he'd surpassed him and... Uh, just one little note I wanted to make before we got to get into the match itself. I mean, the entrance is... Um, was this first time H3 came ever use these little cannon things? I, I know what you're the talking game. about. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when the things uh, the things messed up on him, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Sean's too fond of his interests messing. I remember that. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all have probably seen that clip when uh, when he was doing his uh, his signature pose, and then the, his fireworks are kind of late, and he kind of gave a little uh, a little signal to the camera. And I, I, I don't know if y'all I don't know if y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't, I don't think I can say what he did, but. Uh, I, I think, uh, <laughs> Sean, Sean, Sean isn't too fond of uh, things not no. going uh, splendidly during his interest. No. Uh, but match-wise, <laughs> this is fantastic, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. Sean living up to his Mr. WrestleMania tag and Jericho's no slouch either. I thought, I thought it was a really fun match. Um, not watched it in a couple of years. Um, fun little finish as well. Obviously, Jericho kicking out of the super kick at two, um, quickly followed by um, an inside cradle for uh, HB Cup, HBK rather picking up the win. I mean... I mean, you had to have Sean win, didn't you, on his first match back at Mania? But Jericho didn't lose anything here for me. No. I mean, this match was just a just must. Uh, it was as much about him as it was um, his great performance in each weekend. Them swerving him at the end of the match, k- kicking him in the balls, following a handshake. I mean, these two have had a, a longer feud in two thousand and eight, including that great ladder match they had. But always great chemistry and i thought um i don't know what you might think about this nate but i think this was the first sort of like great jericho wrestlemania match mm. it, it's it's up there and it might be martin and i feel like we we talk a lot about taking people for granted and taking moments for granted and i feel like now in 2020 we just kind of take these hbk matches in this last part of his career for granted right yeah like there was a there was a time where the, you know HBK coming back was something that wrestling fans didn't think they were going to see, 
it was always like the mythical, like, man, I wish HBK could come back for one more match. And who knew? We would end up getting more than one more match. You know, we got a whole kind of late career renaissance where Shawn Michaels at an age and with all the wear and tear on his body, he shouldn't have been able to put out classics, but he put out hit after hit after hit, especially at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at, you know, I don't want to disrespect The Undertaker, but I think, you know, yes, you know, you got to get a man props for the streak or whatever, but it's no question. You said it, Martin. Like, HBK, to me, is Mr. WrestleMania because for a lot of those Undertaker matches during the streak, a lot of those matches were kind of trash. Like, a lot of those matches were Undertaker versus A-Train and Big Show or Undertaker versus uh, Giant Gonzalez, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they matches, ain't, mm-hmm. ain't nobody trying to go back and watch those. Those ain't classics, uh, you know? But HBK, yeah, he didn't have a streak like Taker, but I feel like if you look at who had a, a higher ratio of quality matches, it's, it's showing all day. Yeah, it's crazy because th- this was uh, this was the longest match on the show, I think, wasn't it? It was like 22, 23 minutes. 23 minutes. I, I kind of got like a little I, – I, I, I pulled back up one of the old post-wrestling news updates, man, that I did back in uh, <laughs> back in May. I went, went through the archives and went and pulled this up from, from Chris Jericho's Talk of Jericho podcast. This kind of re- relates back to what, uh, f- f- if you all remember when Nate was talking about when he ran into Shawn Michaels, he said Shawn was the nicest dude back then. But uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Chris Jericho was talking about this match. Um, and, and after they came back, and they, he said it was highly praised from those backstage. But this is a quote from Chris Jericho. I'm going to go ahead and read this to y'all. And I quote, he said, our WrestleMania match with me and Shawn, we went, I think, 25, 25 minutes and we only had 20 or 21 minutes and i remember when we came through the curtain and michael hayes was there and he was like you guys went long and sean said hold on after a masterpiece like that the first thing you're going to tell me is that we went too long go have a five-star match first then come back and talk to me get the f out of get the f out of here and then jericho said he paused and he was like i was like well that's the old sean right there Uh, like that, that is a perfect clap back. Like, come on, come on, Michael P.S. Hayes. <laughs> like, really? Is this is what we're going to get on this man about? <laughs> when you consider I, I, how long I, I, WrestleMania goes these days, like six yeah. hours. Yeah. Man, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure any of us, if we were Sean Michaels, we probably would have said the same thing. Like, you, I, I'm pretty sure like they probably felt that was a real solid match after they left. And then you, you come back, you come back backstage, you probably think everybody gonna give you a standing ovation. And then you got some, the first dude come up to you, like, you know, y'all went kind of long. I'd have been like, yeah, man, that, that was a cool little story right there. Yeah, I could just imagine that, you know, you coming in and, you know, the adrenaline's still going. You're like, oh, my God, exactly. that was a masterpiece. And then exactly. it's like, oh, yeah, you guys went long. It's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 Martin, Martin, kick, kick, you know, I, I know the next match on the card. I, I think we all know what the next match on the card is. I, I, was, I was wondering if I could do the honors for this one, my brother. Yeah, go go for it. <laughs> so, 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 brother Nate. The World Heavyweight Championship, mm-hmm. the, the the seventh match on this WrestleMania card, uh, including the pre-show match. We got Triple H with Ric Flair uh, defending the world title against one Booker T. Now, you know, uh, we, we'd be remiss not to mention uh, Triple H's uh, promo that he cut on Booker T on the lead up to WrestleMania. And I, mm-hmm. I think I, sh- I think it's fair that I should read this and then we get your, your, your thoughts on this, Brother Nate, and just how... Um, condescending and just straight up like blatantly like in your face kind of racist it was mm-hmm. during this and then and then I also kind of want to talk to you like specifically and, and, and Martin I want to get your thoughts about this too about how 
Booker T has been very critical of black performers as of late, like Biggie specifically. And I kind of just want to tie all that in together. So to just read this promo that Triple H cut on Booker T on a Raw uh, before WrestleMania, he said, I think you're a little bit confused about your role in life here. You're going to get to go to WrestleMania. But the fact is, Booker, somebody like you doesn't get to be a world champion. People like you don't deserve it. That is reserved for people like me. That is where the confusion is. You're not here to be a competitor. You're here to be an entertainer. That is what you do. You entertain people. Hell, you entertain me all the time. Go ahead, do a little dance for me. Go ahead, give me one of those spinning roonies. Entertain me. That is your job. Don't be embarrassed. You're here to make people like me laugh with your nappy hair and your suckers. Hell, I was laughing all week long after you won that battle royal. Now, Nate, I don't know if that's just you, but like I read that, that kind of, that kind of steamed me up a little bit kind of reading that. I don't, I don't know if that's just me, but like I was kind of reading that kind of made me want to slap Paul Levesque upside his head for you can take it to Thinking that was something cool to say, but like, nah, I, I just want to kind of give you the reins on this one and let you, you know, kind of dissect it. Well, here's the act. thing: like when when I when when uh, y'all first reached out to me to do the show, I'm like, cool, whatever, you know, I I, I like you dudes. Let's 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 uh, link up. And then I'm like, what are we talking about? And Martin Andrews sends me the the message. You know, we are gonna talk about WrestleMania 19. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Let me let me look it up. Okay, Safeco Field, Seattle. Okay, cool. Uh huh. Uh, we got Sean and, and Jericho. Oh, that's great. Uh, Triple H and Booker T, ain't this about a mm-hmm. and it's like my whole mood changed right there. You know, I was Taz. Like the mood is about to change. The mood changed, Martin Bushby. And so when you think about this promo, right, and the lead up, the run up to the Booker T Triple H world title match, I might surprise you with this, Andrew. Because I don't really like here's the thing. Like what Triple H said is it's out of pocket. Yeah. But I don't have a problem with it if the story is told the way it's supposed to be told, right? And Booker T wins, right? (laughs) Exactly, because you can't have somebody come out here and say, like, you're less than, you don't belong here, you know, you're not good enough, you know, you're only here to entertain people like me, you know, you're too broke, you're too black, your hair's nappy, you know, we're going to show you your your jail records, you know, all that stuff. You can't have somebody say all that and then win, because then that just reinforces the message, Mm -hmm. you know, subconsciously to your audience like oh yeah triple h is right booker t ain't shit and that's what the audience takes away from that and so like that's my biggest thing martin because actually i like it when you lean into that because i feel like that's a that's a story that feels real to me that like that that felt like one of the most authentic promos of triple h's life andrew like i felt like triple h felt that promo and so it's like yeah that's probably did (laughs) that's real and so it's like yeah i'm i'm here for that if you tell the story of Booker had all this, uh, all this obstacles, you know, in his way, all of this stuff that he had to fight and he overcame it. Then that's a great story. And then we could have that moment like we had when Kobe Bryant, Kobe uh, Kingston beat Daniel Bryant at WrestleMania. We could have had his moment, but no, they went the other way. And like, not only did they go the other way, Martin, and I'm sure you, you know, you'll, you'll talk about it here in a second, but the match didn't even do Booker T any favors. Like, I feel like the match itself, even though he, like, there's, I hate that he lost, but if he's going to lose, there's a better way you could have made him look in defeat. And he kind of looked like a chump losing to Triple H in this fashion. Yeah, Martin, Martin I kind of want to ask you, you know, just looking from your perspective. And I know, like, I've, I've seen I've seen you on social media, and I know you're very aware of what's going on out here, which I which I respect. But, like, I just want to ask you from, like, a white male's perspective, like, when you hear, and, when, like, when you rehear that promo, and, like, when you 
like kind of see like the like I mean because back back then when I'm when I'm looking at it I I really wasn't paying attention and I really didn't uh, like quite grasp what it like but now I'm l- looking at it how it's like been 2020 it's kind of like damn like that was kind of like some subconsciously like very, very like blatantly like in your face kind of racist thing that they were kind of doing at the time so so like Martin I kind of want to a- ask you like from a, from a white male's perspective like what, what do you kind of think about the, the 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 scenario overall and how the match kind of turned out for Booker T and what that kind of meant for the future of professional wrestling as far as like uh black performers are presented in, in WWE specifically. Yeah, I think um like you at the time it sort of like went over my head a bit, but then the more right, you read about right. it and the more you get educated about it, and I think especially the promo he did after the sort of like one where he's saying you don't deserve, you know, people like you don't win world titles. He did a promo after uh-huh. that one where he's throwing money at him and telling him to pick his bags up and things like that. And I think mm-hmm. even at the time that one was more on the nose. But I I, I, I think Nate hit, hit the bullseye there because, you know, if you are going to do this storyline, Booker has got to win, you know what I mean? Triple H is supposed to be this, you know, sort of like waspy guy from Connecticut and then, you know, um, Booker T's like the work, working class guy and if he has to beat him following this. And WWE have claimed that like, oh no, when they were saying that, you know, guys like you don't win world titles, we were referring to him as a WCW guy and that's bullshit. Yes, yeah, 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 right on the head right there. But like, it, it was another, and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Mark was going to touch on this, but like, and I think this was, this was what Nate was kind of referring to is the way Booker T lost, like Triple H hit him with the pedigree, right? And then dude didn't pin him for like 20 seconds. Yeah. Like he yeah. stayed, he stayed on the ground for like 20 seconds and then he pinned it, and then he just one, two, three. And then, the, you know, Arrow Hebner did his signature slow count. Like, and I was like, you know, like watching that back, I'm like, damn, like that's how they did Booker mm-hmm. T. Like after they made that man, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he probably agreed to it. I don't, I don't think they would force him to reveal that he, you know, he's had history, you know, that he went to jail before and stuff like that. But I'm like, just, just knowing like the, the, the stuff that he revealed publicly, and then having that like intertwined in the storyline and just to kind of do them like that. And then, I mean, you, you know, he, he, he eventually went on to win the world title, not, not the WWE title, but yeah. like, but, but that was under a gimmick. It, it wasn't that exactly. that they, yep. that they, you know, that, that they, you know, kind of made, made light of. See, Booker T should have in hindsight, you know, Booker T should have listened to the pamphlet, to the game manual for WrestleMania 19 on the GameCube. Be careful. When you negotiate your contract with the McMahons. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and they, let, me, let me ask you this. So I, I'm pretty sure you've probably seen some of the stuff that Booger T has said on his podcast about Biggie yeah. specifically when he was like, you know, Biggie needs to change this and he, you know, it, it can't be all colorful and, you know, he needs to tone it mm. down with the New Day stuff. Like, do you think that Booker T is saying that from a perspective of he's trying to help Biggie dodge what he went through as far as this whole situation? Or do you think it's, it's just a whole another thing of like, you know, hating on a young dude or hating on a younger performer? Cause you know, the, 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 the people are just rallying behind Biggie as we still are. But like, I just wanted to get your thoughts about that. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of this stuff. Cause it's been all over about Booker T's comments about Biggie specifically. See, here's like, you know, we talked about this on the uh, Nubian Wrestling Advocates, which you can check out on the Kings of Sport Patreon, cheap plug. Um, <laughs> but, like, I've, I got a lot of respect for Booker T, man, like, and what he's accomplished and achieved in the business. But I do feel like, you know, whether you're talking about his comments about Big E or his comments about Naomi earlier this yep, year, yep. like, I feel like, I don't feel like it's coming from a place of, of malice from Booker or a place of hate. I do feel like he's trying to help, but I I think he's missing the point, right? 
because he's trying to tell them, you know, do what I did and that'll help you get over. And it's like, no, like, I understand you felt that you had to do what you had to do at that time, Booker, but it's 2020, right? The game's changed. And Big E, like, whether he's dancing or or gyrating his hips or throwing pancakes around, like, you can make money with Big E. You can have Big E be your world champion. Like, he might have to change some things here or there. And Big E said, like, you know, I can laugh and smile and joke, but when it's time to wrestle, that's what I do, right? I can get serious. And I feel like people like Booker, people like Mark Henry, like some of these, like the older state, the elder statesmen um, in the black wrestling community that had to go through a lot of stuff back in, back in their time. I feel like they're trying to help the, the younger generation, Andrew, but their help is actually counterproductive, right? Because it's like, instead of telling Biggie, like, nah, man, you don't have to change for them because you're good enough regardless. Like, just be you. And you can make money. Just be you and you can be a world champion. No, they're saying you got to conform to how it was back in the 90s or back in the early 2000s. And I think that's the wrong message to send to, you know, these young black performers, particularly when, you know, their counterparts, you know, their their Caucasian brothers and sisters don't have to live under that same kind of structure. You know, like going back to that Talking Smack episode where, uh, you know, the Miz and Big E we're speaking about their experiences in the company. It's like, yeah, man, it's like nobody's saying that you didn't have to work to get to where you, where you got, but you didn't have to fight this extra stuff mm-hmm. that people like Big E or people like Sasha or people like Naomi have had to go up against just based on kind of perceptions in the business. And, and as much as, you know, all three of us, we love wrestling. That's, that's the reason we are talking about wrestling on this podcast, but you can't ignore wrestling has had this weird tricky complicated relationship when it comes to presenting different races or 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 different ethnicities or even like different uh sexualities right like you know lgbt representation in the sport like that's something that they've always kind of had to grapple with right and i i I agree with that like and i've heard i've heard booker t speak about this uh this match specifically and like just the way that he kind of described it. It was like he kind of he, he he didn't want to say too much. Like basically the way he put it was, I just did business, and I'm like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like I I I get that to a certain extent. I know he not gonna. Well, like, well that's so, the other but, thing. But, like that's the other thing. Besides Booker T trying to help, Booker T is also not trying to mess up his bag, Andrew. Yeah, no, no, that's that, no, that's a fact. No, like, I'm, I'm gonna just let y'all know this now. Booker T is under contract with WWE until 2027. Yes. He is not. He he is not going to say anything like too 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 out of line when it comes to wwe because he is under that under that deal and that's you know but like just just like i like i I just know that a part of him that that kind of burned him up just a little bit like i i just know because like it it, is no way dude that that like just how that whole storyline played out and like the momentum he had like it it wasn't like Mm -hmm. like dude it, it, it wasn't like booker was like some you know, just some random person they just threw into the story. Like, Bullet was over, bro. People, they they, they wanted it. Like One of the few and, and, WCW well, guys that actually got over. Exactly. And, and, and then, you know, you got Jerry the King Lawler on commentary, you know, uh, kind of siding with Triple H and, you know, adding, you know, adding this little... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know what? But I'm, I'm gonna leave that alone. But, 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 but King was just throwing little, little dingers out there. You know, some, you know, some, some, some on the fence, on the yeah. fence comments he was making. So I'm gonna just leave that at that. Like, like if Triple H was supposed to win this match, Martin, there's a way you can have Triple H win while Booker still looks strong, right? Whether, whether that's you know Triple H using a sledgehammer or Ric Flair interfering. Like, there's a way 
to tell the story of, you know, Booker just coming up short uh, and him still being strong. And you can even, you know, maybe even make more money on the rematch. But they chose not to. And, and like, yeah, like to have Booker T take the pedigree and then just lay there. But like 15, 20 seconds, it's like, come on, man. Like this, this doesn't help. Like it doesn't help Booker T. And it really, Martin, didn't make Triple H look, look that great either. Yeah. Because then, like, leading up to the finish, the match isn't too bad. It's actually, I don't remember much about Yeah. I didn't remember much about it. But, yeah, it's actually a pretty decent match. And yeah. But aside from everything else, it's like, why would you want to shoot yourself in, in the foot here? It's like, I know Booker went back up the card a few years later following this with that King Booker stuff. But what a waste. He had a chance to crown a new guy here and flushed away just yep. to save Triple H's ego. Yeah, right. and it's like and it's it, not it, like Triple H would have been hurt by this, right? Because yeah. again, there's money in the rematch, right? Like there's money in the chase, and so for sure, yeah. Like not only would Booker have been elevated that night, but you would have had a new feud and a new star for Triple H to eventually get that win back over. And, and, and mine didn't did. what they did for the rest of the year, because I mean that I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember much about Triple H's champion in 2003, but those roles were absolute snooze fests. I mean, everyone's <laughs> been opening up every show doing a promo that seemed to go on for ages and it didn't really kick up another gear till he started feuding with Batista the year after but yeah it's yeah. like it, someone like Booker T with all the you know the great wrestling and energy that he had would have been a, a perfect opponent for Triple H so, you, you could have had like because Triple H is such a high key Ric Flair four horseman mark mm-hmm. like one of the four horsemen's greatest feuds was against Dusty Rhodes like the common man or you know one of the four horsemen's greatest feuds was against Sting this up and coming young yeah. dude and you could have recreated a feud like that with Booker T. Like, Booker T's the champ, and now Evolution has their sights set on him, and, and these four dudes are trying to take Booker T down. And you could have told great stories for the next six months. But, you know, Hunter had to get that win, man. Hunter had to get I, that WrestleMania payday. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I feel like WWE, they had three three chances to get that belt off of Triple H over the past that 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 early two thousands early two thousand three. Like I, I honestly felt like he should have dropped the belt to Scott Steiner Scott Steiner. Like they had a horrible match at Royal Rumble two thousand and three. Yeah. But they had a but but they had a solid one at the 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 No Way Out pay per view. And I was like, yeah, they, they should have did it. And then especially when they got the Booker T. And, and Martin uh uh, Triple H, he didn't drop that title until uh, he lost to Goldberg, right? In, in uh, Unforgiven, right? That, that, he held yeah, that title yeah, until like September 2003. They messed that up again at um, Goldberg's. The only time Goldberg was good in that whole sort of period was um, <laughs> that SummerSlam where he smashed through everybody. <laughs> and it's like, he should have won it then. It's like now Triple H came up tops again for that one. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, I, I, I was about to say, I, I was looking at the match card, and that's why I said, and then I was like, what a segue we just had to the person that's in the match. <laughs> I, I was like, what a transition. I, I was like, I, I, it I, just I, became I, a shoot, brother. I, I was like, I felt bad for Martin having to make this transition. I was like, I'm going to try to take it off his hand. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we went from a, like a low-key racist to a, an out-and-out racist, didn't we? <laughs> to an on-camera racist. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a little racist, brother. <laughs> yeah, cause, I mean, Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Vince V. Hulk Hogan. I mean, um, <sighs> this match had the lion's share of the advertising leading into this, yes. match, didn't he, Andrew? I mean, on, he's even on the cover of the, of the DVD. He had tons of TV time as the story was, who made WrestleMania? Was it Hulk or Vince? And Vince trying to, like, destroy Hulkamania once and forever. That seemed to be, like, take up so much time on Raw, especially when you consider the other guys that they had on this show. Right, let, 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 let me not be a bluff. Se- seven year old me 
was loving the hell out of this match. I ain't even gonna lie to you. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not gonna sit here and be like I was. I was sitting at the TV, like, oh no, no, I, I enjoyed the match for what it was, and I even watching it like, but not watching it back because, like, I I just couldn't get myself to enjoy Hulk Hogan. I I, I just couldn't like at all. But like, <laughs> look, like look, look, looking back, did this what like in a retrospect kind of thing. They they these two old dudes kind of did in the ring. They they got in the ring. They did what they had to do to entertain the crowd. I'm a, I'm gonna leave it at that. Yeah, it, it's funny looking back with 2020 vision yeah, that right. uh, Vince McMahon of all people in this match is the, is the more is the more reasonable, <laughs> the more tolerant person in this matchup, Martin Bushby. Uh, so I was actually cheering for Vince, even though I knew Hulk won the match. I was cheering for Vince to win just so Terry could go home. But uh. Yeah, like if I'm just looking at this as a piece of entertainment, like it, it did what it was supposed to do. It worked. And, and like the, the ultimate barometer of whether something works or not, whether we like it or not, Martin, is the response. Mm. And the people were into it. And so, like, yeah, like I feel like this was maybe like this match and ironically enough, that match in TNA, right, where it was Hogan versus Sting one yeah. last time. Like that match shouldn't have worked at all. But they were able to find some way to make it work. And the same with this, with, with Hogan events. So, like, yeah, it, it wasn't my favorite match on the card. It wasn't even in my top three or four. Uh, but, like, for what it needed to be, I, I thought both of these old dudes did a good job. Yeah, because I remember at the time, leading into the show, not expecting anything from this at all. But, like, as pure spectacle, it delivered way more than it should have. I mean, Vince yeah. bleeding everywhere. Vince sitting a fucking leg drop off the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> that classic shot of Vince with the lead pipe. And then uh, even Roddy Pipe coming out and making a surprise appearance. But, yeah, this, yep. this worked. It's like you noted with that Sting match in TNA. This worked when it really shouldn't have. And how, like, I, I think we got we got to give a lot of credit, man. I hate giving credit to this man, but like Vince McMahon, when he's a performer, yeah, like there have been very few that have been able to do like what Vince does. And it's like, yeah, like I, I'm I'm not a fan of the the, the the man as a human being, but as a performer, like you can't discount what he what he brings to the table. Can, can, can somebody explain to me the Roddy Piper thing? Like, as I, like I, I, I like, I mean, now we'll. I would say I get it to an extent now, but like I, I'm thinking about, about 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 young me watching this, like, and I, I was just like, who who the hell is this dude? Like, where, where, who is this? Like, I, like I, I had the announcers going crazy, Roddy Piper. I'm like, who the, who is this dude? Like, like, like I, I just wanted to like kind of get uh, obviously this has something to do with something that happened maybe what 15 or not even 15, but like 11 years prior or 15 years prior that they kind of they try to kind of like reconnect or something like that. Well, they were in the full nostalgia shit, weren't they? Obviously, they realized the nostalgia worked 100% bringing Hogan back. And then, obviously, yeah. Piper was his opponent in WrestleMania 1. So, I guess yep. they um, kind of thought, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll throw the, him into the mix since they're talking about who created WrestleMania. And, yeah. and it was either him or sort of like Mr. T or Paul Ondoff that they fetched him for this one, really. Yeah, I thought, like, yeah, it's a good – and it's one of the few times, guys, because WWE will often drift in and drift out of how much of their history they want to connect to the present. Uh, but I thought this this feud was a good way of linking stuff back to the, to the original WrestleMania and that rock and wrestling era. And so Piper totally made sense here. I I kind of think, like, if like maybe maybe they had to do it here because that was when Terry was available, but I wonder if they could have would they have waited to do this at WrestleMania 20? Because it feels like that this story would have made more sense for like the 20th installment of WrestleMania than the 19th. 
Yeah, completely mm. agree. But I think you're right there. I think it was just when old Terry was available to uh, and whether they could get this match in there. Uh, <laughs> Hulk, can you be here next year? Oh, sorry, brother. I gotta, I gotta shoot a couple videos with my with my friend Bubba. Sorry, dude. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, Terry. Well, um, Terry Belea. Oh, <laughs> the, the fact that I have a, the fact that I have a share a birthday with that man is always funny to me. <laughs> Oh my goodness, man! How long y'all think it'll be before we see uh Hulk, Hulk back on on WWE program? I, I know he was the host of last year's WrestleMania, so obviously the the relationship is still there. But was he was he at a crown? Was it the Crown Jewel this year that he was at, or was that last year? Last, that was last. Oh no, wait, yeah, he he was at Crown Jewel, but Martin wasn't he about to go in the Hall of Fame again this year before the COVID happened? Like, wasn't he about to go in with the NWO? Oh, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah. They were going to do the NWO, weren't they? Yeah. 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 So they, yeah, I just answered my own damn question. There it is. <laughs> I mean, and, and anybody that played that uh, horrible 2K game of WWE 2K20, like he's in the game. Like he's in the game now. So they Hogan is fully back in, in, in the good grace of the company, I think. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. they'll bring him back. They'll bring him back whenever they want. They don't care anymore, do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> But moving um, on to uh, the uh, penultimate match, and tons of background on this one, Austin v. Rock, obviously two of the biggest stars companies ever had. But, I mean, Austin, Austin's year leading into this match, obviously had tumultuous time. You know, he walked out of the company, his marriage broke down, then obviously the neck issues that had plagued him for years. Um, I think a doctor had even told him, like, uh, in 2003 that he could end up being paralyzed. And then obviously there's a mm. well-documented story about the night before where he had a panic attack in the hotel and he consumed a crazy amount of energy drinks and coffee, which landed him in hospital having fluid pumped into him. And I mean, he had already decided this was going to be his last match, but I hadn't told anybody. And then obviously the panic attack brought on by the pressure that he was putting on himself to have a WrestleMania match. Um, and obviously the story going into this one is rocks never beaten Austin at mania. And, uh, Enjoyable match, I thought. Rock getting the win. Not the best of their Mania matches. 17 and 15 are above above this one for me, but still a good match considering everything that had, you know, happened leading into this. But, um, mm. I mean, just before we get into talking about the, the match specifics, um, I wanted to ask you guys about the booking, because obviously we didn't know this going... This, we didn't know going into this match it was going to be Austin's last match, and all things considered, Rock is fantastic, great last opponent for him, isn't he? But without that knowledge... Um, would you guys have been maybe tempted to put him against Hogan? You know, that sort of like, quote-unquote, dream match that maybe a lot of wrestling mm. fans wanted to see or maybe fetch Goldberg in a couple of days earlier or a couple yeah. of months earlier. I mean, not knowing yeah. that it was going to be Austin's last match, would you have maybe put him against a different opponent over Rocky Nate? I mean, it's tough because this is like, other than Vince McMahon, I would say Rock is Stone Cold's greatest opponent in the WWE. Yeah. Uh, and so it's fitting in a way that it ended up being the last match. Uh, but had they known ahead of time, I'm sure the temptation would have been there to put him in there with Goldberg or to put him in there with, uh, with uh, even Vince. Like, I think like they might've made it a triple threat with Hogan, Vince oh, and, and Austin. <laughs> <laughs> like I made WrestleMania, dude. No, I made WrestleMania. No, I made WrestleMania. You mealy mouth son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> Guys, guys, you all made WrestleMania. You're all pretty. Like, <laughs> like you don't have to argue about this. But uh, like I feel like 
in a way, Martin, like this, this was the, the fitting end, you know, to the, the Austin rock rivalry and also, you know, Austin in general. And I feel like, you know, you said this match wasn't as good as the other ones. I, I kind of like it a little bit more. Like it technically, I agree like bell to bell. Uh, I think I like the others a little bit more, but from, and maybe it's having the, the hindsight of knowing that this was Austin's last mm-hmm. match. I think just kind of the emotional beats maybe hit for me a little bit more in this match than the other two. Yeah, Austin is uh, all that, like what Stone Cold did is something I feel like I would do just in life in general. Like he 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 didn't announce like that 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 was his last match. Like he didn't do. I, I feel like the low the low key way is always the best to go just with anything. Honestly, like when it comes to stuff like that, like he kind he didn't say anything. He just like you know, the only people that knew was the people that needed to know. Like mm-hmm. did, did he, I know he told he said that he told I think he told Vince and he told The Rock and that was it. I mean, the only people that yeah. knew and Jim Ross. Jim Ross knew, but Jim, but Jim Ross kind of did a real good job on commentary for somebody who knew that that was going to be Stone Cold's last match. Like he 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 like really played it up like real well. So that, I think that was kind of cool how Austin went about that. And I always admire people that kind of do stuff like that just in general. Like they don't blow up the spot. Like they kind of just keep it on the on the on the low tip. But yeah, I I I actually like this match. Kind kind of more than some of the other WrestleMania matches, and I think it was just like how Nate said it was just because having the you know the hindsight knowing that this is going to be his last match, and I, I think they kind of did more like character work in this match in a way like you know the Rock. I remember the Rock had kind of put on Austin's vest and like the the, the you know him doing his 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 signature sale as a stutter stunner in Austin's <laughs> vest, and you know you know what I'm saying just doing that, giving them the three rock bottoms because they because they had wrestled at WrestleMania twice before right before yeah. this one right so it so yeah. it was like the, the symbolism of the rock giving him the first rock bottom austin kicking out the rock giving him the second rock bottom austin kicking out and then it was the third one for their third match that that put austin down and i think that was like the the the, the cool thing about this match and you know you could kind of uh i know the rock talked about this and stone Cold talked about this in the interview um when, when the rock got up and he kind of leaned over to austin to kind of talk to him and he, i think he just told him like you know i appreciate you and you know just gave him some kind words and then kind of gave him a slap on the chest and then, you know, just to let, let him know like that was the, the final one type thing. So I, I think this was probably one of the, if not the best match they had uh, out throughout their, their, their trilogy. I'd say, yeah, it's probably the most emotional one, wasn't it? But I suppose Bell yeah. Bell, the, the main year 17 one for me is just... Um, uh, a that one's great. Like, <laughs> like, I think that, like, this might be my favorite rivalry in mm. the WWE, like of all time, just because like you've got the two again, like we're talking about this time period in 03, where it's like the the curtain is going down on the attitude era. And for me, like Austin and Rock, and I know I know uh WWE tries to revise history and tell me that Triple H was was on that level in the attitude era when he really wasn't. He was, yeah. he, was mm-hmm. he, he was a nice little piece, but he wasn't he wasn't the main dish. Uh but like Austin and Rock were the attitude era for me. And so like that rivalry and in this match in particular as the, the final chapter is uh you know some of my favorite matches. So last question before we get on to the match. I mean, obviously, there's been ton wrestling retirements never usually amount to anything, do they? But Austin's obviously stuck to his. I mean, there have been rumors over the years about him coming back, but uh, uh, do you think it's pure speculation or do you think he's ever really considered it, Andrew? Who, the Rock or Don't Oh, um, 
I, honestly, bro, I, I think Stone Cold is one of those people that wouldn't want to get in the ring if he knew he wasn't going to be able to deliver what he thought people would expect. Like I, I, I can't, I can't see Austin getting in there and like just being like trying to half-ass. I feel like he, if he did, he would try to go all the way. And like you, you know, we kind of saw it at the, uh, I think it was the Raw reunion show last year when he was hitting the ropes. Like and, and going full speed on the road, so people was like, "Ah, Austin look kind of sharp in the ring." But I'm like, that, I think that's a whole different thing from him getting body slammed and you know him having to go a full 10, 10, 15 minutes with somebody. But you know, I, I honestly, I think if we ever honestly see Austin back, dog, I, I I feel like the the right thing to do would be one of those little uh those those little out of out of not not necessarily the Saudi show, but like I I feel like if 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 he did it in front of a, a U.S. crowd or or even at a, at a WrestleMania, I, the only thing I wouldn't want is for people to get disappointed and and have these super high expectations of what they think Austin's going to do when he get back in the ring. Like I'm like, dude, what is Austin like? 52, 50, like like come on, like you can't expect him to go out there and like put on this amazing match. Like, but you know, I'm I I think if he were to come, I, I I'm gonna just leave it. At, I think Austin could come back, but I just don't think he would want to as far as him not being able to deliver what he thinks people would expect of him. Yeah, like I'm, I'm sure he's thought of it. I'm sure it's crossed his mind over the years just because you can't do something that good for that long mm-hmm. and have it completely leave your system, right? Like it, there's a reason why people come back, you know, ill-advised and, and still try to do what they did when they were younger. Like there's a reason Tito Ortiz still out here on these streets trying to fight people, oh, God. right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so I feel like, yeah, like just that competitive part of Austin probably over the years has been like, yeah, I need to get back out there. But Andrew's right. Like, I don't think he would come out. Like, he's not the kind of guy who's just going to come out here and half-ass it for a paycheck. Like if he can't be Stone Cold, I don't think he would want to get in that ring. Uh, you know, so I feel like, the most we'll get is, you know, these occasional returns when he comes in and 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 drinks beer and maybe rides an ATV to the ring and talks for like five, ten minutes and, and throws up some middle fingers and that's it. You know, he has a Stone Cold Appreciation Day with Byron Saxton, maybe something like mm. that. Uh, and then that's that's the most we get, because I don't think Steve would, you know, put himself out there if, if he couldn't give 100 percent. And, you know, just, just to mention The Rock for a minute, like. The the Rock was kind of like very like I think you both would agree. The Rock was kind of like r- really giving over like that two thousand three two thousand two to two thousand three stretch. Like as far as like what he did, of course he put over Brock at, at SummerSlam o two, mm-hmm. and then he came back. Uh, kind of got the steam back when he uh when, when he beat Hogan at, at No Way Out two thousand three. Uh, it took that to another level when he beat Stone Cold at the at this show, and then he gave all that to Goldberg, and Goldberg kind of took that and went on to win. Mm-hmm. World title, so like the, the the rock, the rock did his thing. I, I feel like this is like a really underrated period of the Rock's career. Like this Hollywood portion, but he was kind of really in and out. Like I, I feel like he made like a very big impact, like as far as like what he was able to do and help and elevate talents while still being able to keep that steam that the Rock yeah. has. Well, that's the thing. Like he he was able to get people over without you know losing anything himself martin like what what a crazy concept like if you actually help <laughs> elevate if you help elevate your your co-workers then when they beat you it doesn't make you look weak you know maybe somebody should think about that triple h <laughs> exactly it's worked for all these years we're not for triple h but uh, yeah <laughs> 
But I suppose, I suppose with The Rock's comebacks, it's, you know, when he does come back, you're like, why he doesn't need this? He doesn't need wrestling in his life anymore. But I suppose it's that direct feedback you're getting from yeah. the audience, which is why yep. a lot of big name actors will go back to doing theatre and things like that. And it's like, you're not getting that when you're doing film and TV. It's that no. direct audience feedback you're getting from them. Martin and Nate, let, let me ask y'all this. So I know y'all, I'm pretty sure y'all probably seen like some of the stuff on social media about what they're doing with Roman Reigns right now and him feuding with Jey Uso. And I think that kind of sparked a lot of people's brains as far as like, okay, so if they go in this whole bloodline thing, you know, maybe may the, the end result of all this is possibly, you know, M- M- Mr. Dwayne Johnson coming back for, 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 for Roman Reigns. But I do, do, for, for, firstly, I, I think that's like, I don't like, you know, you, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of WWE's business antics. I'm, I'm going to say that, but I feel like them, marketing a, 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 a the rock versus roman reigns match is like nothing but pure money that would just yeah take 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 up mainstream like do, do y'all think that was something that'd be plausible as far as like kind of the the bloodline storyline that they have going right now and that kind of be the final result uh of where it is because since we're on the topic of the rock i mean it could be martin like i think that like andrew's right it would make all the money in the world i think It'd be, you know, a really interesting build, you know, given that yeah. we've got Heyman and, and Roman aligned now. And, like, you know, we just talked about how giving The Rock is. And, we, you know, we even saw that when Rock came back during the Cena feud, right? Like, I feel like Rock would, like, make Roman look like, like a million bucks, mm-hmm. not just because it's the right thing to do, but because he's family, right? So I feel like, mm-hmm. I, like, I'm not, sh- I'm not, I, I I'm not sure how likely that is to happen, Martin, but they've they certainly would have worse WrestleMania programs than <laughs> Roman versus Rock. I think, yeah, obviously it'd have to be in a massive football stadium with a huge oh, crowd, yeah. wouldn't it? Um oh, yeah. to make it worth it for especially the Rock. And I'm certainly sure that um everyone else would be, but I suppose it's all waiting on whether Dwayne had once say yes, because did he do a recent, was it this year or the end of last year that said he's like officially retired from wrestling? Yeah, he's, like, yeah. he said that, Martin, but. There's <laughs> <laughs> a man call him out for that paycheck. He's going to be like, eh, you know. But that, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like, you're like, really, like when, like when we're talking about The Rock coming back for a WrestleMania match, like you're talking maybe five dates, right? At mm-hmm. most. Because you got the actual <laughs> match, you got the go home raw, and then maybe one or two raws sprinkled in over that three month period leading up, yeah. you know, to WrestleMania. So maybe four dates, right? Uh, three or four dates. Like I feel like Rock would Rock might be into that, especially like I said, if it would if it would help Roman out. Because we've seen like at that Royal Rumble, like Rock is not averse to trying to get his cousin over. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like, confusion on his face when everyone was booing him, poor guy. Yeah, he's like, come on, you like me? This guy's kind of like me, sort of, <laughs> not like not really, but he like he, he family. <laughs> Why don't you like, like my not, family? <laughs> not, 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 not even to get off like super off topic, but like just speaking about that moment specifically, dude, like that just show you how over Daniel Bryan is. Like, they, like, I, like that, that whole thing happened because people were upset because Daniel Bryan got eliminated. Like, mm-hmm. and that was, it was just, it was just ridiculous to like in a good way ridiculous to me like how even the rock couldn't Bryan. save it <laughs> yeah right exactly the rock couldn't save roman reigns from getting booed because daniel Bryan was that over but yeah i do think brock v rock would be uh, sorry roman v uh rock would be uh you know make a ton of money and, and be a really good spectacle and be a pretty decent match probably but yeah it'd be be great to see but um 
Should we move on to our main event? Because, I mean, you thought the background for the last match was intense, but uh, Kurt Angle, <laughs> who had obviously suffered neck injuries his whole career while at the Olympics, suffered another neck injury at No Way Out early in the year. Uh, surgery was required, but that would have taken him out of action for a year. Um, but instead, here's this Kurt Angle we're talking about doing the surgery right away. He delayed it so he could have the match with Brock here and... When you think about that going into this match, it's insane to think the state of Angle's body and all the bumps he was taking in this match directly onto his neck. And I mean, everyone always talks about, you know, Brock slipping on the shooting star press and landing on his head. But I mean, real good match leading up to that finish that everyone mm. just remembers. And But just thinking about the state her Angle's body was in and then watching this match and you're just like, this guy is on another level. Mm-hmm. No, one hundred percent. Like, and you, you know, at, at, at the top of the show, I mentioned uh, Ray Mysterio being in that conversation as far as like one of the greatest of all time. Like, Kurt is the, for sure, yeah, uh, uh, like up there in that conversation as far as and 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 I, you you both made great points when y'all talked about like as far as the promo ability kind of hurting Ray Mysterio. That does not apply to Kurt Angle at all. Like, Kurt nope. Angle has done the serious stuff. He has done the comedy stuff. Like, and everything is kind of clicked. So, for, for sure, I think Kurt Angle belongs in that, you know, that greatest of all time conversation. And the crazy thing is, like, as good as Kurt is here, like, I feel like he got even better in TNA, which is crazy mm. when you look at some of those matches with Samoa Joe, right? When you look at some of those matches with AJ, uh, you know, even some of those matches with older guys like Sting or Jeff Jarrett, like, Kurt Angle is arguably the greatest all-around pro wrestler ever. Like, you can make that claim. And, uh, like, just the way, the, like, the stuff he put his body through, like, obviously it wasn't the best for him in a in a uh, health perspective in terms of physical and mental health. Like, it wasn't the best for the dude. But the fact that he's able to come out here and put on classic after classic, clinic after clinic, like, it just shows you, how talented this man was. And it's like, it almost, it almost feels like, and it's going to sound crazy to say this, Martin. It almost feels like Kurt didn't get enough in the WWE, right? Like Mm. all the, like you talk about triple H in these long title reigns and I, and I'm not trying to throw more shade at your boy Hunter, but it's Mm -hmm. like Kurt angle should have been that dude with those lengthy title reigns because it's like, yeah, nobody can beat this dude. Cause not only is he like the greatest amateur wrestler in the company, but he's a hell of a pro wrestler too. So like Kurt should have been that dude with multiple title reigns and lengthy title reigns. Yeah. Cause I think his TNA run was actually longer than his WWE, his original WWE. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, this match, I mean, everyone always remembers it for that shooting star press, but it's actually mm. a cracking main event, a worthy WrestleMania match, and it is just a yes. shame that, that everyone just remembers it for that one moment in it. Yeah, and like, again, like I'm not the biggest fan of Brock Lesnar, particularly uh, after what he did to uh, that man, Kobe Kingston. Uh, <laughs> but like, you got to give Brock credit, man. Like, uh, shooting star aside, like, I feel like Brock, at this, like you can tell when Brock is motivated mm. and when Brock is just picking up a check. And it felt like Brock was motivated here. And it's I, like, again, it's hard not to be motivated when you're in there with one of the best of all time. So, like, yeah, you, you know, as much as you want to credit Kurt, you got to give Brock props on this match as well. Let, let, let me ask you this, Martin. Like, uh, as far as the, the Brock and Kurt trilogy, of matches like cause they 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 feuded for a, a quite a long time. I know it was this match. They had that Iron Man match on SmackDown. They had the SummerSlam 2003 match. Like what what what, what like from from the matches that you can recall, 
would you say, would you rank this one number one as far as the Brock Kurt one on one matches, like uh, over the other ones? Because I, I think I think normally everybody kind of says the Iron Man matches the the one, or some people even say the SummerSlam two thousand three matches better than uh, the, this WrestleMania match. No, mate, it's got to be that New Japan one for me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Iron Man match. Yeah, that Iron Man match edges it over. I think if this had had like a clean finish and Brock hadn't been, you know, not mm. loopy. But I mean, you think about it at that end, you know, when he does land on his head, and apparently it was just because of the, you know, the size of his neck. That's what stopped him from like breaking his neck or whatever. Mm. But, um, you think about that, and thinking about that in today, that match would be over, surely. Well, if it wasn't, if it was in WWE, I think that match would be over instantaneously, surely, these days, with all the wellness things they've got in place. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, did you guys have a chance to ever check out the Mania Mania documentary? Because obviously, there's a lot of uh, play of this match at the end with Lesnar throwing anyone, el- uh, throwing anyone trying to help him off. Apparently, he doesn't remember anything about this at all following the uh, the slip from that one. Oof. No, I, I didn't get a chance to check that out. I, I watched that, uh, I want to say... It was 20, 2018, man, when I was I was in math class, when I was at university. The class was terrible. <laughs> so I, 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 just sat, I just sat back and just watched that documentary because I saw, saw somebody tweet it out on Twitter. And I was like, damn, that, that, that was like, it, like, is it, cause, like, you know, as I, like I, I mentioned earlier, it was like you, you didn't really get a chance to see like a lot of the out of character stuff. So it was like it, it was just cool for me to kind of. Mm you know, see see these people out of character and like, you know, kinda see like the real life stuff and of course meant like Ed Martin talked about the uh the Brock Lesnar injury and him going backstage and him kinda, you know, telling everybody to get the hell up off him, like give him space. I was like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but you got this man telling you you to give him space. You know, I'm backing up. Like, <laughs> so what what Andrew didn't tell you about that day in math class, Martin, <laughs> is uh after he watched that match, he started his very first wrestling podcast called Andrew Thompson's aftermath. <laughs> that that was for you, John Pollock. I, that was for you, brother. I know no, no, Pollock no, no, appreciate no. them things. <laughs> that's, a, that's a DJ Joe Poe joke right there. <laughs> and if you don't know, use a mofo. <laughs> the, the, the greatest, the greatest Canadian. That's Canadian okay. Export. It took it, look, it took all show. It took like an hour and a half for us to get here. But that's who should have showed up for the rap battle against John Cena. <laughs> America's greatest white rapper versus Canada's greatest white rapper, Joe Poe versus John Cena. Let's do it. What was what was that uh, <laughs> WrestleMania? Um, they were they were in Canada. What, what was that uh, WrestleMania eighteen? Yeah, 18, that was WrestleMania yeah. eighteen, right? Yeah, John John should have did the opening performance. I'm telling you, he should he should have played somebody to the ring. That'd have been hilarious. Hey, you wait, can't wait see me versus J O P O. I heard Way got bars too, man. Oh yeah, the, uh, <laughs> you need to ask uh, Braden Harrington about that. Them, those two collaborated on a track of it a number. That's of years the thing ago. that like that would have been that would have been their stable. It would have been Braden Way and John versus John Cena. Yeah. What a stable! Oh, 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 oh yeah, uh, I, I just I just looked up some. So when, when I talked about uh, this correction on what I said, I said Edge had a a neck injury. He did have a legit neck injury he was so he wasn't supposed to be in that tag match but he was supposed to be on the wrestlemania car but he suffered a legit neck injury uh a month before wrestle like literally probably like five weeks before wrestlemania so he had to have neck surgery and then he didn't come back until like like, uh like march 2004 so yeah edge was supposed to be on that wrestlemania on this wrestlemania car 
Where do you think, uh, where does this rank as uh, I noted at the start, it's like, a, it feels like an underrated WrestleMania when everyone talks about WrestleManias from this early 2000s time period, everyone talks about 17, but I mean, Nate, yeah. where does this rank as a, as a WrestleMania for you? I think it's a really strong WrestleMania. Like, I, I wouldn't say it's top five. Like, it's not that good. Uh, I think any any card that has a Nathan Jones uh, or A-Train mm-hmm. Big Show mm-hmm. Undertaker match, like, it can't be in the top five. It just can't be. Uh, <laughs> but I think, like, it's it's a, one of the better WrestleManias of, it, of this time period, like you said, uh, Martin. And I would put it, you know, I'd put it maybe, like, low, like in the low top tens or, you know, mm. Mid like the teens, you know, somewhere in somewhere in that range. Like it's a it's a solid show for its time, and I think that like the whole card doesn't work for me. But Lesnar, Angle, Rock, Austin, uh, and Hogan, McMahon, surprisingly, uh, along with Jericho and Michaels, like they all work for me. And had like I think had they done the right thing in the Booker T Triple H match, this would be an easy top ten card for me. Yeah, but because they they had that booking decision. Like it just left a bad taste in my mouth. So I'd probably put this, you know, 13, 14, like somewhere in that, in that range. Andrew, where do you, where do you rank it? Any, any WrestleMania card with Hogan on it at the bottom of the barrel from now. But, but but now this was like, you like you said, it was a real, really, really underrated WrestleMania. I, I'm going to say, I definitely think it's in the top 10 WrestleManias of all time. I'd probably say nine. Or ten, actually, or, or you know, you could make a case for eight. But I, I definitely think it was a real solid WrestleMania from from you know from top to bottom. And even the uh, you know the Nathan Jones thing, like I Nate said, you know, we 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 could probably let let, let Nathan Jones go for a little bit because I don't think well, 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 he he wasn't even in the match for the most part. Like he came in at the end and did like a like a spinning heel kick, and then yeah. uh, you know that was it. And then he quit a couple months later. But you know, I, I respect him for his decision. But like, where, where would you put this WrestleMania at, Martin? As far as like. You know the some of some of the best WrestleManias of all time. Yeah, I'd say it's uh, definitely top ten. Maybe I don't know. I'd maybe have it higher than you guys. Maybe around six or a five. But yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. up there for me. I think um, a lot of WrestleManias have got a bit of crap on them, haven't they? And then they slitted around. The good <laughs> stuff. But, um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So uh, just to wrap up, any uh, final thoughts about this time period, this show, or anything the, before we get into the plugs, of course, um, that you wanted to uh, get out there. Whew. I mean, how much time you got? <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this was like here's the, here's the thing. I'm I'm gonna do the opposite. I'm gonna take this time right now, Martin, and I'm gonna do what Triple H should have done back in 2003, and I'm gonna put over the young talent and uh you know show some love to you and Andrew because I feel like. Like this, this, this is this. This is gonna be a good show, man. Like, I, granted, for the listeners out there, every show probably won't be as long as this show, because uh, <laughs> I feel like we're getting close to like two and a half, three hours. So, like, as long as the damn WrestleMania itself. So, like, every show that Andrew and, and Martin bring to y'all probably won't be this long. But uh, yeah, this this is gonna be a fun show, man, and and a good uh, addition to to the rest of the post uh, wrestling family. So, uh, you know, it, it's been cool, man, being being the. Uh, the uh, test subject here for for you brothers and and you know putting a little putting a little sizzle on this steak to get get this thing started. Oh, Nate, that means so much coming from you. Obviously, huge honor to have you on here. I've been listening to you for years, so yeah, massive honor having you on this on this debut show. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on. 
No, no problem, fellas. Again, like again, like Martin, I appreciate you. And uh, of course, my, my, my podcast nephew, Andrew, uh, who you can hear on the Kings of Sport Patreon. You know, gotta yes, get sir. them plug, gotta get them plugs out there. I like the Miller Light girls. I gotta I gotta I gotta I gotta sell what I'm here for. Uh check out the Kings of Sport Patreon. Uh, you know, five dollars gets you in the door. Uh when when is the show supposed to come out, fellas? Uh, it's coming out uh, on Friday. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, you'll still have about a week or so, uh, because everybody that signs up for the Kings of Sport Patreon in the month of September, we're taking all of that money and we're donating it to three charities: the uh, Thurgood Marshall College Fund, the Jackie Robinson Foundation, and the American Cancer Society. And we're doing that in honor of Chadwick Boseman, uh, who passed away last month. Uh, so we we are uh, any new uh, sign-ups to the Patreon for the month of September. We are taking that money and putting it towards those charities uh, to, to honor the, the King of Wakanda. So uh, check out the Patreon, patreon.com backslash King Sport. Uh, you can check me out on the Rocky Mountain View Picture Show right here on Post Wrestling. Cop that T-shirt, fam, that that, that Rocky Mountain View, that, that, that hot fit right now, Andrew. I know I know you probably got one because that's, that's, that's what's hot in D.C. right now, that Rocky Mountain View fit. Uh, you can get that at, at the Post Wrestling Store. Uh, you can check me out on the Kings of Sport. You can check me out on the Black Lightning Podcast. You can check me out on Place to Be Nation's main event. Like, I'm on a bunch of shows, but you can check me out. Like, if you want to know where you can get get the, all that information at, just go to Twitter, at in the number 8 mozik at Nate Mosaic. And, uh, yeah, like, this was, this, was, this was fun, fellas. I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like, Y'all, y'all, y'all gonna make it someday. Like I, I'm not gonna be up here saying like Andrew, like Andrew, you can't make it. Pe- people like you and Martin don't make good podcasts. Pe- <laughs> people like you and Martin can't get ahead in the podcast world. I'm not gonna bring that energy to your show. So I'm just gonna wish y'all the best. Oh, we appreciate it, um, Andrew. <laughs> any any plugs before we head out of here? Man, uh, f- firstly, go 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 support go support Uncle Nate, man. So that's my good man right there. And I also want to <laughs> give a you know I also got a show. Some special love, of course, to Martin and both Benno for the British Wrestling Experience, which is yeah. which this podcast is going to be a part of this, uh, a part of their feed. It's going to be a, you know, I'm, I'm, they always cover the, the the high topics, especially going on in Britain, the British wrestling scene right now, especially everything that's going on. So they, I think they've done a phenomenal job on that. So I just wanted to praise the both of you for that. Good job on that, fellas. Uh, and then for myself, you could just follow me, uh, AD Thompson, uh, on Twitter, and then AD Thompson underscore underscore on Twitter. Check out the Andrew Thompson Interviews YouTube channel, of course. And then you can check out all my written work uh, on the post wrestling site. We we still waiting on that hot Andrew DJ Joe Poe interview. <laughs> so <laughs> so so brother Pollock, what what was your inspiration when you were jumping through the forest in those wild Canadian woods in your music yeah. video? <laughs> talk, John is gonna funny. John is gonna kill both of us when he hears this. <laughs> <laughs> We, we 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 appreciate you, brother Pollock. <laughs> it's, all, it's all love, John. It's all, it's all love. love <laughs> but yeah, easily the most some of the most comprehensive uh, reporting out there. So yeah, hats, hats off to you, Andrew, and some crap. Yeah, yeah, like I don't, like I don't know, like the post listeners out there. I don't know if you're if you're a member of the Post Wrestling uh, Forum, but the, you seen these the, the way this brother writes those reports. Like it make my, make my hands hurt just reading them from all the typing that Andrew Thompson got to do on some of these reports, Martin. So yeah, like they're like uh, like more, uh, Andrew is, is a is a valued member of the post wrestling community as a, as are you, my brother. So uh, I'm glad that y'all are putting letting your forces combine like Captain Planet and bringing this to the people. 
it, it was when Martin asked me, uh, they asked me to be on, uh, what, what was that show we, re- we reviewed for the British Wrestling Experience? Martin, with me, you, and yeah, James, right. and Ben. UK Beno. Rampage 92. That, 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 was, that, was, that was the one that brought us together, man, because that, that was hilarious, bro. Because it was, because like, I, the, the one thing I like about that is like the, 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 the subtitle, uh, Subtitle, the subtitle jazz back and forth that, that that we was doing about me not being born when that show happened. It was, it was hilarious, <laughs> like I like I, I I thoroughly enjoyed that, and you know, and also go you go check that out on post wrestling. You can also go check out uh when, when, when me Nate and uh Mr. Chris Ely uh, dissected Hulk Hogan uh, on the uh, Kings of Sport Patreon because that was hilarious. Yeah, too. yeah, the newbie newbie wrestling advocates. We we probably yeah. might have to do another episode here like in the next month or so because we we hadn't done that one in a while. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All the links will be in the show notes. And, uh, of course, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. And, uh, yeah, myself and Ben will be back uh, with your new monthly BWE on the 8th of October. And then the next episode of this show will be on the 22nd of October, just trying to keep ahead of all that new scheduling. But, um, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, to, of course, to the always brilliant Nate Milton and uh, yes, sir. Thompson. Uncle Nate. <laughs> Uncle Nate. Yes, sir. And we will be back on the 8th of October, and we'll catch you then.